This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Sirianni pretty much has to present the plan, right? Like, oh, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to try and how we're going to change the offense, defense, who's going to coordinate those two sides of the ball, you know, how we're going to fix basically what went wrong this year. And That was Dan Graziano, the latest on Nick Sirianni. Well, he has not met, as we know yet, with Jeffrey Lurie, but his time is coming. What will happen in that meeting We shall find out probably by the end of the day. This is the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? So we've got stuff to discuss, plenty of it, and I want to get into it. So Nick Sirianni is going to meet with Jeffrey Lurie today, and he's supposed to present a plan. What's the plan, Stan? What do you got for me? Uh, The more and more I think about this, you know, Brian Johnson's name keeps coming up and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up that he's going for interviews. And I'm trying to think to myself, as many people um, have asked, why is Brian Johnson getting all of these interviews? Now, some people have ignorantly stated he is just a Rooney Rule candidate. And in some instances, he might be. But if you did any research, you would see that in many of the instances, uh, the Rooney role had already been qualified for some of these teams before they interviewed Brian Johnson. So he is not some of these teams' Rooney role candidate. Brian Johnson, to me, is in the crossfire of all this situation. He did not do a good job by our standards if we are just armchair quarterbacking what a offensive coordinator is supposed to do. You know, did it ever occur to people that this was not Brian Johnson's offense and that people around the league know that? They watched this team and they said, Brian Johnson is a smart football coach. This was not his offense. And if the Eagles aren't going to use him, we will. So what I think could happen, because I thought about this after our conversation yesterday with John McMullen. And McMullen believes that both Sirianni and Brian Johnson will return. And I thought to myself, like, man, how could this happen? How could they really think about bringing both of these guys back? And then it kind of occurred to me that a couple of years ago, Andy Reid was the coach. It wasn't a couple of years ago. It was a lot more years ago, probably 10. Andy Reid was the coach, and Howie Roseman was the general manager. And the team had been struggling. And at that time, Jeffrey Lurie said, you know, Andy has been running the draft room for us. And Howie has been putting together his own draft board. But we generally have been going off of Andy's draft board. Well, now... Howie is going to be the guy who runs the draft, okay? So that happened around like 2011, 12, sometime back in in that area of the Eagles' um, existence. What I think is going to end up happening here 
is that Nick Sirianni is going to go in and he's going to say, listen, the plan is this. We get a new defensive coordinator and a new defensive philosophy. And on offense, I am going to get out of the way. We are no longer going to use my offense. We are going to let Brian run the offense that he wanted to run. And I think you're going to get it, Brian Johnson getting the opportunity to run his offense. Because I'm coming to terms with, I have to. Because I can't believe at the NFL level, because think about this. The Philadelphia Eagles ran the same offense two years ago, last year, and now a third time this year. It's Nick Sirianni's offense. He has been candid. He has said, it's my offense that we're running. And he's even kind of admitted at times there's been some reports coming out that there are times on the sideline where Brian wants to call a play and Sirianni kind of overrules it. That's a disaster. I think Brian Johnson was was a, I don't want to say, the casualty of, hey, here's the playbook. This is my offense. You're going to call the plays. And Brian Johnson saying, all right, well, these aren't my plays, but I'll call them for you if you want. And then he starts calling them, and then in the middle of the game, hey, I don't like the play that you called. We're going to run this play instead. Because I think the Eagles have opened their eyes to, wait a second, why are all these other teams interested in our guy even though he perceivingly did not have a great year. Well, the Eagles know what maybe we don't know. They do have a smart guy, and they do have a guy who is well-regarded in the league. They just didn't let him be what he is. So I think you are going to see Nick Sirianni keep his job and Brian Johnson return, and that might just have people look. I went to WVU as many of you probably know. When the Mountaineers would lose a game, we became famous for couch burning, right? The the Mountaineers would lose, and people would start burning their couches. Now, I'm not advocating that. It was fun. You know, in West Virginia, a lot of people have, like, old furniture on their porch. It's kind of what we did down there. And, you know, you have, like, this old dilapidated couch beat up on the porch, that you're always just waiting to get rid of. And it's like that big loss of the season. You would say, all right, this couch, it's time to go. And everybody would be carrying their couches. It was a scene, man. Everyone's carrying their couches down Grand Avenue and throwing them in the middle of the street. And, like, they're all on fire. Like, couches are burning in the middle of the street. When the Eagles announced, you like that? Is that something that seems that Josh is like shaking his head? Like, is this real? This is like, it was like Thunderdome, man. Um, when the Eagles announce that both of these guys are going to return, and I don't know that that's the case. I'm just speculating that that's what I think is going to happen. I can just envision Eagle fans acting like West Virginia fans at the end of a loss and wanting to throw couches in the middle of the street and set them ablaze. Because I know people are not going to be happy. I know people are going to kick and scream and complain, why is this guy back? Why is Brian Johnson, who had such a horrible year, going to come back? And I think what the Eagles are going to basically come out and say, and Nick, because I did see something that suggested that Nick is going to talk next week. Um, I got to see 
uh, double um, check on that one, but I, I, I thought something was more um, that Aunt, that uh, Nick Sirianni was going to have his end of the season press conference at the end uh, next week at some point. And I'm thinking, well, if that happens, does that necessarily mean that he's coming back, or is he going to have an end of the season press conference no matter what? You know, is he going to get one last chance to kind of address everything that happened here? I don't know. I don't know how that works, but. Um, I don't know that we'll get an answer today. Apparently, they're meeting today. But I think if what's my prediction of what will happen is they will both be retained. Sirianni will have a press conference. And in that press conference, it will be Nick saying, hey, Brian's going to stay on as the offensive coordinator, but we're going to run his offense next year. We're going to let him have full reign of designing and calling the offense, and I am just going to be the head coach. So we'll see. We'll see. Because Brian Johnson is now on his third head coaching interview. Um, And to my understanding, at least two of the teams already fulfilled their Rooney Rule obligations before they interviewed Brian Johnson. You know, a lot of times that goes unknown. You know, you have a guy that – and the whole Rooney Rule thing is just, is just a mess. they got to fix this situation. I mean, it, it, it is – now, I know, like, the story of Mike Tomlin, that Mike Tomlin basically – some people suggest it was a Rooney Rule candidate and just, you know, was so impressive. And that's why I say, like, it is – beneficial to take the interview because some people say well why would you even take the interview if it if it's just you know a Rooney rule interview because just taking the interview gives you practice to interview you now know what kind of questions you're getting asked now you might say once you do it the first time why would you do it again the second time or the third time that you're in the cycle well you want to try to get as many much practice at these interviews as possible if you're going to get a huge corporate job and you're going to sit in front of the board and they're grilling you with questions, you would like to have some experience in what kind of questions you're getting asked. So guess what? If somebody told me you're interviewing for a job that you really don't have a chance for, but I take the interview anyway, I'm going in there with the confidence that I can blow these people away. And even if I don't, I am getting a lot of experience in what type of questions are being asked of me in this type of environment. Now, a lot of times, and this ties into the Eagles and their success. There's a lot of times people want to pick the Eagles coaches and front office members because unlike many of the people out there, they, (laughs) the NFL circles, they think Howie Roseman is probably the best in the league at his job. I know a lot of fans don't like Roseman and now also think that he's part of the problem and he meddles and that he makes the guy a puppet. Listen, the Eagles have essentially the most elongated success in the NFC and the second most success in the NFL since the year 2000. What the Eagles are doing, teams around the league want a part of. That's why they lose front office member after front office member after front office member. And that's why their coaches are constantly 
being plucked and poached from this staff. You work for the Eagles, we want you in our building. You know, it's akin to somebody who has, like, a big corporate lawyer job and you are working in, you know, Chicago, and the guy from New York says, hey, you're the best lawyer in Chicago, we want you to come to our firm and become the best lawyer in New York. New York bigger than Chicago. Why are, though, we getting beat by the Chicago firm? The Eagles are the team that everybody around in the NFL says, why are they always successful? What is it about them that they always get it right? And it doesn't matter who the coach is. You have Andy Reid, one of the greatest coaches of all time, and he leaves, and look, he goes to Kansas City and helps them become a winner, and then here comes the Eagles, and they stay successful, and then they win a Super Bowl, and then they fire the Super Bowl coach, and they get back to a Super Bowl. How do they keep sustaining that success so these teams around the league are saying hey (laughs) what's the blueprint over there so sometimes they are taking a meeting with an eagles front office like there's a guy who got a job offer or um uh, an interview with um who was it the other day there's a there's a guy who's interviewing for I can't even remember what position it was. I've never even heard of the coach on, on the team. Is it a coach or a front office guy? He's from the Eagles. He, he got an uh, interview yesterday with somebody. Um, I never even heard of the guy. And I'm thinking this is another example of these teams around the league saying, hey, you coach with the Eagles, what do you got? What, what do you, come on, take an interview with us because we want to know what they're doing over there. And I know we're so close to it, it's hard for us to – um, come to terms with that, that the Eagles actually know what they're doing, have a lot of success because it's frustrating when the team's not winning, and it also is frustrating when the team was right there and then dropped off so precipitously. You got the uh, the guy that I'm talking about? Alec Hallaby. Uh, he's, no, well, Alec Hallaby I did hear of, and oh, I know okay. who that is. He's the front office guy. I think there was another guy. Okay. Alec Hallaby is uh, interviewing for GM jobs. He is essentially right now, right? He is uh, like Roseman's kind of right-hand man. Uh, another guy who interviewed is Marcus Brady. Marcus Brady. There you go. That's the guy. Now, what does Marcus Brady do? I'm actually still getting that. <laughs> but I remember he was on the Colts organization previously. Well, Marcus Brady I saw was interviewing. I don't even know what job he's interviewing for. But I, I, I thought to myself, how did somebody uncover Marcus Brady? Brady came to the Eagles after he worked with Sirianni in Indianapolis. Um, and what is he doing now? It says that he... This is weird because even Jeremy Fowler doesn't actually say what he does. <laughs> if Jeremy it just Fowler. says he's a senior <laughs> offensive assistant. Which I, I don't even know what that means. What is I? I was but ask you but my point means. is this: he's another random person that people look at the Eagles and say, "This is a guy that we would like to talk to." Right. The Bears have requested um, to interview Marcus, Marcus Brady, Brady for their, for their offensive coordinator yeah. position. So the point on this is the Eagles' offense was so wretched in the fans' mind. Right. Every time you post a story that says Brian Johnson's getting an interview. 
you get two answers, right? Rooney rule or get rid of him. No one's ever like, no, we can't lose that guy. And here's another member of the Eagles offensive staff that is getting an offensive coordinator interview. Marcus Brady. Raise your hand if you're driving your car right now. Now, don't. It's snowing and it's a little crazy out there. Well, not right now. I mean, it's not too bad. But raise your hand if you knew Marcus Brady was on this staff. And have and if you did know Marcus Brady was on this staff, and I will say I did not know Marcus Brady was on this staff, but also raise your hand if you knew what he did. <laughs> because I had no idea what he, he did. He was an offensive coach on this team this year on a team that many deemed was not very good offensively. It's so wild that it's just another guy, like you said, that they're interviewing people because it's like I – I don't even know why some of these guys are being interviewed except for the fact that the Eagles next to their name. Like, is is Marcus Brady a guy? Like, does he know so with the Bears? I mean, I know that um, Eberflus, he's from Indianapolis, right? So maybe him and Brady cross paths. Maybe that's why he's interviewing? Could be, yeah. I mean, look, a lot of this is who you know, and um, he was a— uh, he has been an offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator with the Colts in 2021-2022. Uh, he came to the Eagles in 2022 as an offensive consultant, and now he is a senior offensive assistant. Before that, he was a quarterback's coach. Uh, he was an offensive quarterback in the CFL. So he has had some play calling, he's some been offensive coordinator stuff. But he is a young guy. I mean, he's 44 years old. Um, he was a... Um, um, I think he was a quarterback during his uh, playing days. Yeah, he was a he was a quarterback during his playing days. So he's one of these guys who played was a quarterback. Then he gets a job as a quarterback coach, and he he was an offensive coordinator with the Colts for 2021 and 2022. And uh, now he came here to Philadelphia. So, but Marcus Brady is also getting a, a coordinator. Uh, interview. So the Eagles, I mean, moral of the story is this. The Eagles have had so much success, whether you guys like it or not. And I think that is one of the things we hear so much is that the expectations are just so out of whack here that we just overreact to things. And I think we are overly critical. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that what we saw was acceptable. You can certainly, but I'm also not going to sit here and absolutely land base Brian Johnson Without enough information and just saying he is inept and unqualified for his job because deep down inside, I don't believe that to be accurate. I don't think that this offense was so bad and that he was the sole reason. I know we've said what's the only difference from last year to this year, the coordinator. But you can also say, yes, the defense, uh, the offensive coordinator left, Shane Steichen. But I can also say... I don't think Sirianni meddled with Steichen. He let Steichen call the plays. Did he do the same for Brian Johnson? And was Brian Johnson as comfortable calling Nick Sirianni's plays? And then the follow-up question is, if he wasn't comfortable calling Nick Sirianni's plays, what is the difference between what he would call and what Sirianni would call? I mean, these are not answers we actually have answers to, but I'm just I'm putting it out there because... Knowing Brian Johnson's background, he doesn't have an NFL offensive background. His entire coaching career, whether he was 
you know, as an offensive coordinator at Florida or in Houston, whether he was a quarterback coach in Mississippi State, wherever he's been, it hasn't been an NFL offense. So I don't even know what, what his offense would be in that necessary. All right, coming up, Mike McGarry, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, Mike Missinelli tonight at 5 o'clock, Adam Kaplan, football at 4. We'll keep our eye on the Sirianni watch. What's next for the Eagles? All that and more. Plus the Sixers tonight taking on the Orlando Magic. And the Flyers win again last night. Flyers win over the Stars. And they have put themselves two points behind the top spot in the Metro. Check out our Flyers coverage right now at 97.3 ESPN.com. Mike Gill in the Sports Badge. Coming up, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Players seem to respond to Nick, but I I think the team lost confidence in the plan as much as anything and came to the realization that we're not going to make the run here. That's not real. I mean, now they've got to kind of pack it all back up and they've got to hire two coordinators. Howie Long said that, and uh, what's more important, the players liking the coach or the players liking the plan? Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is here. We don't have news yet on Nick Sirianni, but it should be, uh, you know, maybe by the end of the day we'll get that out there. But, you know, what kind of decision is Jeffrey Lurie having to make here, Mike, where if the players legitimately like Sirianni but – they're not trusting of the plan. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to say what direction Lori will go in, right? Uh, If the players do respond to Sirianni, but they didn't like the way things ran on offense and defense this season, then you get two new coordinators and you keep Sirianni in charge and and you can correct that basically. So that's one direction you can go in or you uh, get rid of Sirianni and go in another head coach and bring in another plan because overall Sirianni's philosophy on offense and defense is going to guide the team. Now you can say that, Hey, that overall philosophy guided you to a 10 and one start. It took you to the Super Bowl last year and then it fell apart at the end of this season. Is it solely on Nick Sirianni and his plan or were there other factors involved? So that's kind of the thing that I would guess that Jeffrey Laurie and the Eagles brass is kind of sorting through when they meet with Sirianni today. You know, uh, a lot of people still keep scratching their head about all the Brian Johnson interviews. And is it quite possible that Brian Johnson is well-respected around the league and that many people said the offense that you guys ran was not, in fact, Brian Johnson's, and if you guys aren't going to use them, we'll take them. Yeah, I mean, Sirianni has made no bones about it. It is it his, his offensive philosophy. I mean, I would say that he is an offensive coach. He probably has his fingerprints all over the overall design and philosophy of the offense. And at the end of the day, Brian Johnson is the offensive coordinator. He works for Nick Sirianni. So he's going to execute what Nick Sirianni wants to the best of his ability. I've got a feeling we're in the same sort of situation that we went through last year where Eagles fans couldn't believe that Jonathan Gannon was getting all these interviews because they didn't really like him as a defensive coordinator. And he ended up getting a head coaching job. So sometimes I think, Mike, we, we don't know what we don't know, right? I mean, you know, we love 
like to think that we know a lot about football, but do I know X's and O's like a guy in the NFL? Absolutely not. No way uh, do I know that or would pretend to know that. So maybe the experts are seeing some things that we're not seeing out there, basically. Well, I, I talk about um, this a lot. You know, people talk about Howie Roseman and they you know that Sirianni's a puppet and all this stuff and that that's part of the problem. But let me ask you, Mike, um, the Eagles have the second most postseason wins since the year 2000. Only New England has more. Um, If that is the case, that Roseman does make these guys a puppet and tells them what to do and all that stuff, don't they have the success in the track record to say, so what? I mean, they get poached uh, front office guy after front office guy. Heck, someone even took one of the women out of their front office just to try to see what Philadelphia is doing. Anytime there's a coaching situation, it seems that they're constantly getting their coaches poached. Isn't that a sign that the league is saying what Philadelphia is doing, we want to copy? Yeah, absolutely. And you make a great point there, and that is that Eagles fans, I think, are, are spoiled. You you said you said it. Go back to the beginning of the Andy Reid era. How many years has this football team had a season where it has been irrelevant? I mean, you can count them on one hand five. and you might not get They've the had five, five losing right? seasons since right, two thousand. Right. And, and go ask the Washington Commanders or the New York Giants, who are two of your biggest rivals in your division, uh, you know, how hard it is to maintain that level of success and consistency. The Eagles fans in the past 20 years or 24 years have never gone through a stretch like the Commanders fans and Giants fans have gone through, where they've basically been irrelevant and your season's been over two weeks, you know, two weeks after Labor Day, your football season is over. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. I, I think you hit on another great point there. Look, professional sports has changed, all professional sports. The power is in the front office these days. The power is with the front office. The coach is almost middle management now. That's true in football. That's true in baseball. You can say it's the rise of analytics. It's, it's front offices making, you know, more decisions on rosters, strategy, you know, et, et cetera. That's just, just the way of the world. So if you think that the Eagles, the next coach of the Eagles is going to come in here and be a, uh, a my way or the highway type of guy and, and roll over the front office, that's just not how sports works today. Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought about this a lot as I keep saying Brian Johnson and all these people um, constantly badgering the fact that this guy got the job uh, or is getting job interviews. And, you know, I, it dawned on me that, hey, everyone's always interviewing Eagles front office guys, guys you never heard of. Alec Hallaby is up for a GM job. Why? What, 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 what role in the success does he have with the Eagles? And sometimes it's not the role that he has as much as what do you know that the Eagles do that they're, that as you said, Mike, they never go through a stretch of where they're, you know, five and 12 and, and four and 13. I mean, they never go through these stretches that the giants and Washington are going through. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you hit on there with the interviews, Brian Johnson, we don't know what Brian Johnson is like 
on the practice field or how he interacts in meeting rooms with his quarterbacks or offensive personnel. Maybe he's a great teacher. Maybe he's a great practice guy, that, that sort of thing. These are things we're just seeing part of the picture. We're, we're seeing those three hours on Sunday afternoon or, or Monday nights, and we're making all our judgments off that, and that's fair. That's the way the game is played. It's professional football. It's about what happens uh, in the game Sunday and Monday. But I think sometimes we got to keep in mind that we're not seeing what happens the other six days and a lot of that goes into what how these guys play and coach and, and the opportunities they have. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. The Eagles meeting with Nick Sirianni today. Jeff Flory, Sirianni, what's the plan? Uh, I, I would say this, Mike. I think the plan is going to end up Sirianni stays and it's a similar situation, ironically, Andy Reid is on the TV right now, to when Andy was here and Andy used to run the draft and Laurie said, look, Reid ran the draft, Roseman used to have a board, we went off of Reid's board, now we're going to go off of Roseman's board. I think this will be Sirianni coming out next week saying, Brian's coming back, we ran my offense, next year we're turning it over, we're going to run his offense now. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be some changes, right? There has to be some changes, some tweaks to the offense, obviously. I don't know. You know, it might be a new offensive coordinator. It's definitely going to be a new defensive coordinator. We'll see what happens with Brian Johnson there. But I think that's the answer, right? And obviously, you know, that's probably the way, you know, now you get away from it three, four days afterwards. You kind of take the emotion out of it. You start thinking a little bit. uh, You think back, well, you know, the game was 16-9 in the third quarter, you know, and it kind of fell apart after the hurt safety and stuff like that. So maybe the loss wasn't as bad as we're thinking about. We And they did go to the Super Bowl last season. So maybe you give him one more try to sort of correct it. But, you know, if Sirianni does come back, again, I think he would be in a position of probably coaching for his job next season. I don't think he could withstand you know, a, a seven and ten or an eight and nine season, basically. All right, Mike. Um, by the way, it's a Friday. It's snowing. Do you get a Friday news dump today? Do you think we get some sort of uh, clarity on this uh, on this Friday from the Eagles? You know, maybe, maybe not. I, I think probably. Uh, you know, I'd venture to say if Sirianni is going to come back, you know, you're going to probably see a press conference with him. You know, next week. Uh, to sort of uh, talk about what he and Laurie talked about, the changes and stuff like that. So if there is a news dump today, and and the reason it's called a news dump is because it's usually bad news. They don't tell you good news at 5 o'clock on a Friday. You only get the bad news at 5 o'clock on a Friday. Good news comes, you know, 9 a.m. on Monday or uh, 10 a.m. on Thursday. So if there is a news dump, it's going to be bad for Nick Sirianni. So he better be hoping for a quiet, you know, a quiet rest of the day. All right, uh, Mike, I want to get your thoughts. The Sixers will play the Magic tonight. Did you take anything from Embiid's outing the other night against Jokic and the Nuggets? Um, Is there anything to put together to say, you know what, they have – this team has taken another step. Yeah, I I think Embiid is just playing tremendous, tremendous basketball. Now, again, I don't think he's as good as Jokic, just basically off the fact because in the – fourth quarter of a close, close game, a playoff game. The Nuggets can play through Jokic because of his passing ability and his shooting ability. The Embiid does not have that same ability, but Embiid, the way Embiid has played this season is just tremendous. I think the Philadelphia 76ers, 
you know, they've kind of given them sort of new life here to this to this run they've been on. I think they're a team that can contend for an NBA championship. I think they're playing really well. I think they're doing a lot of good things. The only problem I see is just the, and uh, we've talked about this before, is the overall talent in the NBA and even in the Eastern Conference is is really just tremendous. I mean, I think the Sixers are good. Are it? Are they as good as a healthy Boston Celtics team? I don't know about that. Are they as good as the Milwaukee Bucks with all the firepower they have? I don't know about that. You know, the Knicks are playing pretty well since they got Ananobi, and they came in here and drilled the 76ers. The Cleveland Cavaliers are are quietly playing very well. The Pacers just made a big trade with Toronto, and they're entertaining teams. So I think the Sixers have improved. I think they're putting a more entertaining product on the court. I think Joel Embiid right now, I would say he would be, you know, the choice to be the MVP of the league. What that translates into the playoffs, I don't know about, and it's not any fault of the 76ers. It's just the other teams in the league you know, are super, super talented. I mean, I can't remember an NBA that is as talented as it is right now. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch, uh, getting to a good party. By the way, the Sixers the other night um, were the number two seed. Now they have since flipped back to three, but they're only a game behind Milwaukee. How would that change things for Philly if they can grab the two uh, as opposed to being that three? You know, right now is the three. Uh, you would have a three six. You'd play the Knicks, uh, and then in that second round, if you're the two, that becomes a potential home court advantage. So uh, if they could get that two, that might change the perception for them as well. Yeah, obviously you want the home court if you're in a series with the Milwaukee Bucks, right? And and obviously you want to try to stay away because I just named about five or six teams. If you can play that seven or eight seed. Uh, you know, that would be much better. If you're the three six seed, you're going to be facing a good team there. You could be facing Miami. You could be facing the Knicks. You could be facing Cleveland. You could be facing Indiana. That's not going to be easy series right there. I just think, Mike, for the 76ers, they've just got to continue to play well. You know, I, I would look for them to maybe make some moves. I think they've got to add somebody, especially with what the Knicks have done. I think with what the Pacers have done, they've almost put the marker out there saying, hey, if you want to compete in the East, you're going to have to go get another player. And I think, you know, the Sixers need another guy who can score, who can create in the fourth quarter of close playoff games. So we'll see what that move is. But then you just try to get as healthy as you can, and maybe you try to go into the playoffs with a healthy Embiid. Because, you know, the big question on the other side is you don't know what the health of the other teams is. You know, Porzingis for Boston, you know, he could have some health issues. Uh, Milwaukee, Giannis could have some health issues. So you got to be as healthy as you can going into the playoffs and see what happens. And I think they need another player. And I think what the Knicks have done and the Pacers have done is going to force the Sixers to go out and get somebody else. All right, uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, everybody, here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. We've got the Sixers tonight, Sixers tomorrow, Flyers tomorrow, Flyers on Sunday, Sixers back on Monday, and, of course, all the divisional games. I'll give you the four games, Texas-Baltimore, Green Bay-San Francisco, Tampa-Detroit, Kansas City-Buffalo. Is there an upset? Ah, boy. I'm going to say no. I think we get chalk all the way through. Uh, Well, unless you can – yeah, no, chalk all the way through. I think you're going to end up with Buffalo, Baltimore, and what would it be? Uh, It would be Detroit 49ers. I think it's it's chalk all the way through. I think the uh, upset 
teams had their chance last weekend. This week, uh, chalk rides. All right. Uh, the chalk will be riding, says Mike McGarry. Yeah, the one upset that I think you might get, maybe, would be... Uh, I think Tampa Bay could possibly surprise Detroit. I like Detroit better, but the way Tampa, you know, I thought like, last week they got a little momentum. They put up a bunch of points. They could have won. They could have beat the Eagles 50 to 9 last week. Uh, but are they riding this now that nobody, they're the one team that it seems like even though they won, nobody's buying into them. Nobody seemed to be impressed because the Eagles were that bad. So if one of the teams surprises, I think Tampa might be the one. We shall see it all unfold right here. You can listen to the games all weekend on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Mike. Enjoy the weekend, man. All right. Same to you. We'll see you down the road. Thanks. Mike's back on Monday. We'll recap the weekend. we got a busy weekend with uh, two Flyers and two Sixers games, plus the Sixers on Monday night. And we are at Ocean Casino at the Gallery. Bar booking games on Monday. You got Sixers Magic, Sixers Hornets, Flyers Avs, and Flyers Senators. That's four games this weekend you can dive into all around the NFL. We're going to dive into it. Sal Palantonio at 3 o'clock. Jeff Kerr still to come from CBS Sports. Adam Kaplan. We're going to get a lot of football on the Eagles and everything that's happening today. Plus Mike Bissonelli tonight at 5 o'clock. So stick around for Mikey Miss at 5 get his take we might know about Sirianni by then more sports bash on the way 97.3 ESPN.com it's with Mike Gill keeping the fans entertained and happy on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app 249 sports bash live 97.3 ESPN so did you hear the news today about sports illustrated Kind of sad. Uh, Sports Illustrated has essentially been an irrelevant um, entity for some time now. But there was a time where Sports Illustrated was the be-all, end-all. When you had your face or your team on the cover of Sports Illustrated, it was talked about until the next weeks came out. You see the cover of Sports Illustrated. So-and-so was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. For example, LeBron James, when he was coming out of high school, famous Sports Illustrated covers. When I was a kid growing up, I would have various Sports Illustrated covers. Uh, I had these closet doors in my bedroom. And the two closet doors, I would have the Sports Illustrated. Now, if I was smart, I would just would have kept them intact. Instead, I cut out the pictures. I would cut like around, you know, so there was just like the guy dunking or the football player making the move. And then I had them all kind of like a puzzle, kind of fitting together. So my wall was just all of these Sports Illustrated pictures. And, you know, it was like Felipe Lopez. You remember him? St. John's. Uh, you know, him, he had like the Jordan kind of dunk look to him. You know, I had him in one and like um, Mike Tyson. And, and like they were all kind of, I don't know how I fit them together the way that I did. I just kept cutting them and I would put them up and I'd put them up and I'd put them up. And the news today is essentially Sports Illustrated is no longer. Uh, they got a email that basically said that. They will terminate everybody. And I don't know what that means for Sports Illustrated, but I know some people who have worked for Sports Illustrated or work for Sports Illustrated, 
And I think a lot of people listening can relate or, as a sports fan, can say, man, Sports Illustrated, what is a sports world without Sports Illustrated? And I'm reading all of these people, you know, tweeting to Sports Illustrated's workers and the people like, you know, the, the letter has come out, that the email that they got sent. And I just thought as my childhood of Sports Illustrated and the impact it had on me being a sports fan. It's absolutely infuriating to me, Mike, that the, the, the reasoning for why they're laying everyone off to me feels almost like it's made up. I mean, this company literally came in, they bought Sports Illustrated, and they've been trying to find ways to purge Sports Illustrated of Sports Illustrated for a long time. It's like it's like the old concept of of the corporate raider, right? You know, the 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 most famous one, remember the, in the 90s, Carl Icahn, he went around and just tried to buy stuff and like implode it and like so he could like, you know, make a profit off of it. So I feel like that's what happened with Sports Illustrated. Somebody came in, they bought it and they're just trying to like implode it. And it feels so disgusting to me that these people are losing their jobs. Because some turd somewhere had this scheme to make money and everyone else has to suffer. And now, I mean, you got people like Albert Breer who is one of the best NFL insiders and writers in the business. And it's like people like him and others are just being kicked to the curb because some jerk somewhere is trying to save a buck. Well, the the whole entity has been in peril for some time. Yeah, it's been about three years that the union has been trying to fight to keep these people their jobs and their viability. Yeah, so the whole—and it's funny because I'm just, like, over—people are just posting Sports Illustrated covers. Like, my timeline is just filled with old Sports Illustrated covers. Um, just pure nostalgia. Yeah, I'm looking at one with Grant Hill, the preview, 97-98 NBA Confidential. Uh, the one with—like, this would be one, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., um, you know, Yankee killer. This is Ken Griffey Jr. in a Mariners uniform. Uh, like, this was one that uh, Joe Smith, the NBA's number one. Remember when Joe Smith from Maryland played for the Sixers for a little while? Hot minute, Was yeah. the number one pick in the draft. Was he drafted by what? The Timberwolves? Was the Timberwolves or the Hawks he got drafted by? Joe Smith, I think, was Timberwolves. Um, here's one where um, the LeBron one. With him with the ball up on his shoulder. Yes. You got various Michael Jordan ones. Um, Tom Brady has graced the cover of many of uh, Sports Illustrated's. But I'm just looking at my timeline just filled with all of these covers and people putting the thing out there. At first I was reading and I was like, man, that's kind of sad. But that since Sports Illustrated, the entity has been kind of irrelevant for some time now. It kind of didn't hit me until like I started to see all of the covers. Here's one with Rodman, the rare bird, and it's Rodman dressed. He's like wearing like almost like a submissive outfit, and he's got a parrot sitting on right. his uh, chest. I mean, they just did such a great job of getting these stories. And uh, when I see stories like that, it, it is uh, you know sad to see. And I know a lot of people listening. If you're in my age bracket, you grew up with Sports Illustrated, and if you're older than me, Sports Illustrated was even bigger back then and now it seemingly is nowhere uh sports bash live 97.3 espn the 97.3 espn free mobile app when we come back what does sal palantonio think about where the eagles situation sits what does he know about 
the future of Nick Sirianni. Now, we don't know when this meeting takes place, when there will be a decision, or even if the decision comes out of this meeting. That's coming up next. A Sal Pal Friday. It is a happy hour Friday. I totally forgot it's Friday with the snow. I'll have some picks for you. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Happy hour Friday. It's a Sal Pal Friday. I'm Mike Gill. What's going on, everybody? Good to have you with us as we take a look at what could the next step be for the Philadelphia Eagles. Lori Sirianni meeting. Well, well, what will become of this meeting? ESPN's senior NFL correspondent Sal Palantonio joins me to break it down right now on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Happy Friday to you, Sal. How are you, bud? Hey, I'm doing good. Is this the one and only Mike Gill on the Sports Bash? You got me. You, you dialed All my right. lineup, and I'm answering. <laughs> All right, baby. <laughs> listen, uh, listen. So normally, I text and drive. I'm just putting it out there. I understand it's totally illegal, but um, you know, I got so much going on, especially this time of year. You know, I'm looking at my emails. I'm texting and driving. I'm violating the law, no matter where I am. But today. I'm driving down I-95 in a horrendous snowstorm. I mean, bad. Down to Baltimore. I just arrived. I got here in time for the Mike Gill show. So I don't know what the heck's going on. I haven't checked my email. I haven't checked my text. I haven't checked anything for like two hours. What's happening? Well, you haven't missed any news out of Philadelphia just yet. Apparently, Nick and... Uh, Jeffrey are going to meet or are meeting today, and nothing has come out from that. Now, do you have any anticipation what will come from that? No puffs of white smoke out of Novacare, nothing? <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, nope, not yet. There's been nothing, um, but this is where we are. Sirianni's going to have to basically pitch his plan to Lori. Uh, haven't we gone through this before with, with Dougie P? Yeah, but see, the thing is, everybody wants to compare it with Doug Peterson. And to answer your question very specifically to your radio audience, which I know, obviously, wants to hear from you and me on this subject together on Fridays at 3 p.m. on the Sports Bash, we're only guessing as to what is happening in the meeting. Because very few people have the kind of sources uh, that can go inside of the meeting between a head coach and an owner. Afterwards, we'll know everything. But what's happening inside that meeting right now, we're only guessing. We can figure out based on being smart about it. So let's go through the history. Chip Kelly was fired unceremoniously. He had definitely rubbed the owner in the front office the wrong way, didn't go to Chip Kelly, uh, didn't go to Jeffrey Lewis, T- Eagles. Christmas party, blew it off, was begging basically to get fired. So you really can't compare that. You can't compare Doug Peterson because there was rancor, and it was at the time, it was a very difficult time, if you remember, with the team, the whole Carson Wentz thing. It, it was a very tough time, and it, those, it really... The relationship between Doug Peterson and Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman went 
south very quickly. I don't get the sense at all that Nick Sirianni is rubbing people the wrong way in the organization. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. I think that I, I think that people still like him and respect him. Hard worker, uh, works with others very well, uh, has a definite community attitude within an organization, which is important these days. Uh, so I, I, you know, protects players, protects front office people, protects the PR people. Uh, that's, that's the way Nick Sirianni was brought up by his father, who was a head coach himself, and his brother Jay, also a head coach at the high school level. So I don't get the sense at all that there's any kind of rancor between Sirianni. But, Mike Gill, seven weeks of bad football, it has all added up to a lot of frustration, disappointment, and anger. And I was in that locker room in Tampa after the game when, you know, Lane Johnson said the four famous words, no one is safe. And I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe no one is safe. I believe no one is safe. That everyone is accountable for what happened. A, everyone is accountable for not stopping the slide. And even Nick Sirianni admitted Monday night at a Bowles or Raymond James Stadium, we couldn't stop the slide, we got into a rut, and we couldn't get out. Yeah. Well, Mike, that's what you get paid to do. I'm sorry. Uh, those are the facts. Let's keep it real. You know? Well, and, and <laughs> Sal, is, I know we is, talked. This is real life here. Yeah, we talked last week, and, and you said, look, I don't want to speculate on somebody's job, but I've talked to people throughout the week, some of that were down in Tampa, and said they got on the flight to Tampa not thinking that he was in trouble at all and left that flight home and said, I've changed my mind. I mean, that's how bad the game went on Monday night. These are people in the organization or fans? No, people that are covering the team. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say yes, in trouble. And he needs to get out of trouble, find a way to get out. But I also agree with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox that everybody in the organization, including Lurie and Howie Roseman, the general manager and players and the assistant coaches, has ownership of what went down. Yeah. Everybody does. You know, unfortunately, again, let's keep it real. The guy who's the most expendable is the head coach. It's certainly not Jalen Hurts, who you've given a quarter of a billion dollars to, for sure. So, and it probably won't be Howie Roseman, who's been Jeffrey Lurie's right-hand man for 23 years. So I don't see that happening. Yeah. And and also, Nick Sirianni is going into the fourth year of a five-year contract. This is a very important factor here on a number of levels. So if you bring him back in the fourth year without an extension, now he's in Mike McCarthy land. Now he's a lame duck the following year. Does he have the moral authority to lead with that kind of status? Yeah. Um, B, more important, Mike, can he attract the kind of candidates for offensive and defensive coordinators knowing he's on a very short leash? Yeah, that's one thing that I wonder is what's the Rolodex like? All right, I lost Stike and I lost Gannon. Those were my guys, and now these guys are here. And uh, if you're going to tell me I need to find new, if I'm going into a plan on a Friday to Jeffrey Lurie, 
Now, the reporting yesterday was that Roseman and Sirianni were, were making calls together. Yeah, but that was, walked, that was walked back. That report was walked back. If you see the following tweet, yes. that, 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 don't put any stock in that. I, I don't put any stock in it whatsoever. <clears throat> I, I think, first of all, you know, Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni may be calling some of his friends, but he's not in any position. At all in his organization, I think we can agree on this, to hire somebody. He may recommend somebody, yep. but he's not hiring the offensive or a defensive coordinators, that's for sure. So let's look at it. Let's say they keep him. What would it look like? Well, maybe he brings back his mentor, Frank Reich, to be the offensive coordinator. Right. But, and when you do that, Michael, when you do that, you better have Jalen Hurts on board. I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts has to pick his own offensive coordinator, but in these circumstances in the National Football League, the way coaches and players have relationships in the modern NFL, the quarterback's got to be in on the deal. He's got to say, "Yeah, I think I like that system. Let me, you know, let me think about it and and you know, I I convince me coach that this is going to work." Maybe they even put him on the phone with Jalen Hurts. I don't know, but it's got. You look at D'Amico Ryan's and C.J. Stroud. I'm in Baltimore. You look at Lamar Jackson and Todd Munkin. You you look at um, Antonio Pierce, Dan Campbell. J- Bob Kraft goes out and hires Gerard Mayo. What is Mayo's first comments? We're taking down the silos. Those were his words. Yep. Taking down the silos, and we're going to have communication and openness. Within our organization, and you know, <clears throat> Jalen Hurts, in my view, and this is my opinion, and people may agree, old school people may agree, but you're not paying attention if you do disagree. In the modern NFL, you need to have the quarterback take ownership, and that means he has to be consulted, in my view. Uh, we're talking with Sal Palantonio. He's in Baltimore for the divisional round. Uh, Brian Johnson, his third head coaching interview. Uh, Sal, you've been covering the league a long time. Have you seen a situation where a guy's up for three jobs and could not make it out of the job he currently has? Or do you think it, that that kind of suggests that he will be back? And like I, my my thought is this, Sal. Sirianni goes in and says, look, he kind of been running my offense. I, I, I'm going to let him kind of run his offense. And they they keep that triangle together. But I could be way off base there. We're only guessing. Yeah, oh yeah. Brian, jo- Brian Johnson is a good coach. He just had a bad plan. Uh, maybe, maybe that he had maybe he had a better plan than we thought, and it wasn't executed properly. Maybe it was really Nick Sirianni's offense. Mm-hmm. But for whatever, I'm going to go back to what I originally said, and I agree with Fletcher Cox, and that is there's a lot of people who are fathers of this failure in that organization. And there's a lot of people responsible and should be held accountable. Not only Nick Sirianni. Sal, do you look at this team now where they are after what we saw Super Bowl 10 and one start, and then almost non-competitive football for two months. Do you look at this team in a rebuild situation? Yes. Can we I believe that we're true. even having this discussion? No, because literally 12 months ago, I was standing on the field at State Farm Stadium, confetti coming down, and watching the players go off the field 
and they had a double-digit lead at halftime and could have won that Super Bowl very easily. And now we're talking about a rebuild literally 12 months later. It shows you the volatility of the NFL. It shows you the highly competitive nature of the National Football League. And it shows you if you do a lot of little things wrong, it adds up to one big thing. Yeah. Um, Like, you talk about rebuild. um, Yes, they're in a rebuild. I think everybody's in agreement. There's a consensus. This team is this team's not going to the playoffs next year. Wow, that big of a rebuild. They're losing Jason Kelsey. Yeah, they might lose Fletcher Cox. That's well, a uh, yeah. That's a. I mean, right as this team stands right now, do you? The way this team's Mike, why is that a shocking statement to you? Well, I, I guess this, when you think you have the quarterback. Is, wait, 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 hold on a second. The way this team has played the last seven. Seven weeks. You think this is a playoff team last Oh, no. Weeks? Listen, if I, I, if this team restarted this schedule over and was playing as bad as they, they'd win three games the way they were playing, uh, if they played this schedule again, that's the perplexing thing about it. They were 6-2 and two against playoff teams this year. I'm saying as this team is currently constituted and playing, yep. they're not going to the playoffs next year. They're a long way from changing the – trajectory on this football team. Wow. Like, yeah, and listen, just hearing it... And it, that's not a shocking statement. I think you would... If you would have talked to any Eagles fan, they would all say the way this team is playing right now, they would not go to the playoffs. I, well, I can... Just, uh, you know, you processed the, what you just said. You had a lead at halftime in the Super Bowl. You were 10-1. and one. And added to the fact, Sal... That you signed your quarterback. When you have that quarterback, you feel that you are constantly in play for not only just making the playoffs, it, for a Super Bowl. When you feel like you pay the quarterback yes. that money, that you are there, and now you're saying, I signed that quarterback, and I don't even know that I'm a playoff team. Yeah, Mike, and you know, the thing is, when you do sign your quarterback, it changes everything. It does. It's much easier to go to the Super Bowl with a quarterback on a rookie deal than it is after you pay the quarterback. And I think all of these owners flush with cash, mostly from uh, their arrangements with casinos. Let's let's face it, casinos and networks. And they're all flush with cash. And all of these teams have ballooned in value to multiple billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they have to pay these quarterbacks and they get talked into it because of the market. Well, I'll tell you one thing that has happened. Alex Smith brought this up on NFL Countdown the other day, and you'll be able to see Sal on NFL Countdown live in Baltimore. He said something that really resonates is there used to be a middle tier pay for the quarterback. Now you either get forty million or you're on a rookie deal. There's nobody in the middle. And it's like, hey, what do I do? I don't want to lose my quarterback. I don't have a better option. But he's not worth forty million. But I have to pay him forty million. Otherwise, I'm going to have nothing. And these there's teams only get... really right now in the NFL playoffs of the eight teams left. There's eight teams left, right? Yep. Of the eight of the eight teams left. Look at it. Jordan Love rookie contract. Brock Purdy rookie contract. <clears throat> C.J. Stroud rookie contract. Um, go down the list. Lamar Jackson got paid. Josh Allen got paid. Patrick Mahomes got paid. Um, the rest of them, all on rookie deals. Baker Mayfield is on a one-year rental. Yep, he's the one outlier. Jared Goff didn't get paid the big, 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 big money, um, and they were able to sign some free agents there. So, you know, they don't really have – you have some that are on a rookie, but it's – Mike, 
they invested in Jalen Hurts, and now they have to deal with it at least for a year or two. And that may be one of the reasons, one of the things working in Sirianni's be- on behalf, because if you bring in a new head coach, he has to buy into Jalen. Yep, that's to me the number one reason why they keep Sirianni. It's not because they believe in him. It's not because he has sold them on anything. It's because whoever they bring in as a new quarterback must be sold on Jalen Hurts, and they, and that might be hard to find. Yeah. That, to me, is the number one factor why they keep Sirianni. How did we get here is, is the crazy part about it. Sal Palantonio is in Baltimore. By the way, you're in Baltimore. You need to stop by Isabella's and get yourself a pizza, and then you'll call me next week and you'll say, Mike Gill, that Isabella's pizza pie was the best pizza pie I ever had. Mike, I'm going to do that tonight. I'm doing it. Little Italy, Isabella's. Make sure you do it. I'm going to do that. Well, you know, the only thing holding me back is it is snowing to beat the band out there. <laughs> I got to go to M&T Bank Stadium and be live on Sports Center with Kevin Nagandi at 6 p.m. And I'm going to say, I think if I had the opportunity, I'll say, listen, I want to go to Isabella's for a pizza, but the snow is so bad. <laughs> Isabella's, send me a send pizza to my hotel. Maybe one will show up. Oh, man. I'll be down there yeah, next we- weekend, actually. Oh, for the championship game. Well, it's my birthday. I don't care about okay, the, well, then, oh, I don't care about the championship I'll- game. It's my birthday, man. <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I'll, Mike Gill, happy birthday to you next weekend. I will be here. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you out for a piece of pizza at Isabella's for your birthday. I will be here next weekend if the Ravens win. All right. Well, you need to try the pizza first just to confer with my reporting that it's the best pizza you'll have. I have no doubt that Mike Gill <laughs> is right. I know we have the same taste in football, in life, in baseball. We love everything. There's not a thing about anything in life that we don't agree on, Mike Gill. <laughs> So I'm going to go to Isabella's based on your recommendation. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to brave the snowstorm tonight. All I right. hope they're open because I'm telling you, half the city's closed down. Oh, man, it's insane here. It's crazy. All right. Well, all right. I'm looking forward to the uh, to the results and the reviews on this pizza here, Sal Palantonio. Well, let, let me just clear one thing up. I'm not saying the Eagles will not make the playoffs next year. I am saying that if the Eagles play like they are right now this is not a playoff team they have to get a lot better and i don't think there's a single person inside or outside the organization who would disagree with that uh if they play the way they did on monday night and the previous four sundays yes they are not a playoff team they will be in play for the number one overall pick oh well i'm not going there if you play like you did on monday night you're not winning any games that was awful Mike, it really was awful. Oh, man. I feel bad that you had to go down there and watch No, it. don't feel bad for me. I was in Tampa for four days. Oh, that's true. And it wasn't my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sal. We'll catch up with you, pal. All right, bud. Uh, Sal Palantonio here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I stand myself corrected. Um I may be in Baltimore next week for my birthday. We are efforting different locations. The problem is the weather is so bad everywhere. So 
We've talked about different things, uh, what to do for uh, my birthday's on a Wednesday this year. So we're looking to do something next weekend because this weekend's got snow. My birthday sucks every year. It snows. It's cold. It's windy. Uh, the weather's just terrible. So my girlfriend and I said, all right, maybe we'll go to Nashville. New Orleans we looked at. I mean, the price to fly to New Orleans is a little tricky, uh, that kind of stuff. But looked everywhere. From down to Florida, all the way up, there's rain next weekend in the forecast, like literally the entire East Coast. So we're like, ah, do we really want to go somewhere we're just going to rain the whole time? So, you know me, I love Baltimore, Isabella's, go down to Max's Tap House, a couple breweries I found down there. So I may be in Baltimore if the weather in some of these other places don't uh, shape up. You know why? Because I need some new happy hour Friday picks and some people texting in some happy hour Friday stuff for me now. You know what else? A lot of people are texting in on the Sports Illustrated stuff. The old swimsuit issue that uh, people used to, like, snag from their dad's closet, right? Is that what you guys are texting me and telling me? Uh, Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports is going to join me on the other side. I got a funny Jim Palmer story, too, coming up. And by the way, did you see the story on DeAndre Ayton on why he missed the game the other night for the Portland Trailblazers? I don't even know how this story's possible. All that coming up this hour on the Sports Best on 97.3 ESPN. It's the skill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Nick Sirianni may be calling some of his friends, but he's not in any position at all in his organization. I think we can agree on this to hire somebody. He may recommend somebody, but he's not hiring the offensive or defensive coordinator. That's for sure. Uh, that was Sal Palantonio today on the Sports Bash. So he doesn't think Nick's got the power to pick his own guy. What does Jeff Kerr say about the whole coaching situation that's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles? Jeff Kerr, NFL writer from CBS Sports, is back on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. I keep getting people, they text in, they ask me what happened to Jeff Kerr. I said, I think he blackballed me. I think I ticked him off. <laughs> Oh, reporter, reporter town basketball gets in my way, Mike Gill. Um, <laughs> it's, it's that time of year, my friend. Well, you've been uh, all around this Eagles team all year. You were in the locker room clean out the other day. Give me the feeling in that locker room. What did it feel like the future of Nick Sirianni was going to be? Your guess is as good as mine on what the front office thinks what Nick Sirianni is going to do, because we ain't get any inkling on that. But the players, I talked to a lot of them, and a lot of them back Nick Sirianni. Uh, Fletcher Cox obviously had probably the most uh, quotable quote, I guess you can say. Um, Jordan Malata really went the bat for him. Uh, when I talked to him, he used a lot of F-bombs and said, I, I don't know where this is coming from. You know, essentially, Jason Kelsey went the bat for him. Um, a, a bunch of other players, too. Uh, Brent Cuppy went to bat for him. A.J. Brown went to bat for him a couple weeks ago. Uh, I spoke to a couple other players um, off the record, and, yeah, they, they like Nick Sirianni, too. So, so you, feel again, like he, you feel like people, he has – Oh, go ahead, Mike. You feel like he has the support 
from the key players. Now, there might be some guys in there. You know, I think DeAndre Swift was a little wishy-washy, but he's a free agent and, and probably out the door. We could talk about him later. But I'm saying it felt like the guys that he needs the support from gave him the support. Yes, um, absolutely. I, I think the leaders of that team definitely backed him. And I actually think Jalen Hurts, um, I didn't like his first answer on Monday. I thought he gave a much better answer on Wednesday. It was still lukewarm-ish, but it was better than what he gave Monday. I, I think Jalen Hurts does support Nick Sirianni as the team's head coach, but ultimately, I, I don't know if he cares or not. Uh, to be honest with you, I think Jalen Hurts is more successful in winning football games, and whatever whoever can help him do that, I, I think he's going to support. I mean, but you talk to the Brandon Grahams, the Jason Kelseys, the Fletcher Coxes of the world. Yeah, they really went the bat for him, whether they're going to be here next year or not. Yeah, what do you say to the people? I've heard this a lot. You know, Kelsey, Graham, Fletcher, they can say that because they're not going to be here next year. So why tear the guy down when they're going to be out the door? Yeah, that's true. Um, that's what makes it tough, right? I'd love to know what Devonta Smith thinks about Nick Sirianni. I know I, – I don't know we have any quotes on him. I don't talk to Devonta Smith much, so – I couldn't get the vibe, but well, DeAndre's- if the if Smith said, "Hey, if you're going to use me like you did in the game on uh, Monday night, I might want you to come." Come, you know, there's a lot of gray area to me here, Jeff, regarding Brian Johnson's got three head coaching jobs now. Of course, you know the Eagle fans are saying, "Why? Why is this guy getting jobs? He did not do a good job as the coordinator." But what do you think of the offense and how it was organized? ran and called what's the dynamics there it seems like there was um someone wanted to run their offense one way and someone wanted to run the offense the other way and they ultimately went with the head coach because the head coach is the boss so i think i would like to see what brian johnson could do in his vision in his offense as a play caller and for the people that say well teams are trying to fulfill their rooney rule uh, requirement that's a bunch of BS because they interviewed our minority candidates. So you're so you could throw that out the window. Plus, from my understanding, Jeff, he both of his interviews or two of them were virtual, which do not qualify for yeah. Rooney Rule. Correct. Am I accurate so, on that? Yes, you are correct. So now comes okay. How interested are they in this guy? And again. You're seeing the struggles. I'm going to mention two people here. When Brian Johnson was at Florida, that became first-round draft picks. Kyle Pitts was the number four overall pick in the draft. He hasn't done much after his rookie year in the NFL. Kadarius Toney is more known for stuff he doesn't do than stuff he actually does. So why were these guys awesome in college and surefire first-round picks and then they come to the NFL and they don't do anything. Was Brian Johnson the only one who knew how to scheme these guys up? Because this time I checked, there was no like Heisman winning quarterbacks over at Florida. I mean, Kyle Trask was a good player over there, but it was a second round draft pick in his own right. But he had every opportunity to be out Baker Mayfield this year and he couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, the Brian Johnson thing is interesting because he did have a lot of respect, was well regarded. Um, and I, I would ask this, you know, um, did he call the plays? Some would say, well, he called the plays. Not always, right? I mean, sometimes he was overruled by Sirianni. I mean, and not to mention, even if he did call the plays, even if he called 100% of the plays, it's still not his 
offense. So I could be calling Jeff Kerr's plays, but I think Jeff Kerr's plays suck. I want to call Mike Gill's plays. Exactly. Like, you and I have different visions for something, but if I'm using your system and it ain't working, I want to go to my system. But we don't know what Brian Johnson's system is. The only real aspect of it we got is watching those couple years, and he was Florida's offensive coordinator. That's what you got to go back to. Right, and and, and that's the thing, Jeff. I think the people that I talked to this offseason that were excited for Brian Johnson and thought he was a good fit for this job was because they thought he was going to run the offense that he designed, and that was not the case. No, it looked more like Nick Sariani's offense in 2021, especially early in 2021, when they couldn't get anything going. We were blaming the quarterback, we were blaming this guy, we were blaming that guy, and then they decided to run the ball, and everything just kind of went into place here. So, and look, I, I'm not ready to throw Brian Johnson off the cliff yet. I mean, I, I do think there are going to be change. I think there's going to be an ultimatum in there somewhere. So maybe Brian Johnson doesn't stick around, but I'm just not ready to do that yet. I want to see him in his own vision. I still say the biggest problem with this Eagles team was on the defensive side of the ball, not the offensive side of the ball. The, the, the offensive side of the ball, I think the problems were they were trying to compensate for the defense. And, you know, you saw how that went. Yeah, well, listen, uh, they're supposedly meeting today. Do you think anything is going to come out of the meetings today, or do you think it's going to be, you know, hey, we met, you pitched, now let me go think about all this, and I'll get back to you on Monday. How how worthless is our conversation going to be if something happens today, Mike? Well, we do a best of on uh, Saturday, and if I have to air this on Saturday and there's a decision made tonight, that's not going to be good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when people are driving see, around tomorrow, like, this guy sounds like an idiot. He's already been fired. I, I can see Jeffrey Lurie just pulling something at, like, 945 at night tonight just to make me very upset. Um, you know, you know, my one Friday night, I, I kind of get to sit in and relax a little bit. And I'm watching Sixers, having a nice little sip of beer, and boom. You yeah. Know? Something will come down. By the way, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, with us here on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Um, the other part of this would be uh, the way I see it. Let me, exp- let, let me I think this is what's going to happen. I think Sirianni is going to stay, and the plan is what? What is your plan, Nick? And I think Nick's going to say, look, we're going to change the defense. We're going to change the defensive philosophy. We're going to get away from this Fangio style, and we're going to get a veteran defensive coordinator in here, and we're going to bring Brian Johnson back, and Jeffrey, I'm going to give him – the keys to the offense, it's going to be his offense, and I'm going to get out of this. That's what I think is going to end up happening here, and that Brian Johnson will be back because you've got to keep the quarterback happy. And the and quarter, if Brian Johnson is the quarterback's guy. You don't want to continuously go through coordinator after coordinator after coordinator when you signed your, 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 your quarterback. That's not a good message for him. So I think Sirianni secedes the offensive design and everything to Johnson. Because I think the front office is saying, look, Brian's getting a lot of uh, interviews and people are interested in him because they see that he's a smart guy. We need to see what he has. And this reminds me of when when Reed was the coach and Laurie said, look, Reed used to run the draft. Now Roseman's going to run the draft. And they kept Reed, yeah. but they had Roseman run the draft. This is, hey, we're going to keep you but we're going to have Brian Johnson run the offense. And it did ultimately get Andy refired, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, but 
It does sound like that, right? Now, here's going to be the next question. Will Nick go for this? That's going to be the million-dollar question. All right. Well, I, and I'll throw the question back to you, but I'll answer your question first. He doesn't have a choice. Because yeah, uh, I don't think he's getting hired by anybody else. To me, personally. I agree. Doug Peterson could could tell him to go pound sand because he won the Super Bowl and knew he was going to get a job. I don't know that Nick Sirianni knows he's getting another head coaching job. He might get a wide receiving coach job or something to that effect, but I don't think he's getting a coordinator job or one of these head coaching jobs if he stands up and says, I'm not doing this. Yeah, because everybody – I mean, you probably talk to the same people I've talked to, if not even more. I mean, you talk to Sal Pally. I, I mean, you know everybody thinks Brian Johnson should be the mastermind behind all this, and you're seeing the result of Nick Sirianni's genius. So, yeah, I, I mean – Definitely, if I'm Nick, I, I am presenting, hey, look, you know what? I'll seize control of this thing. You know, Brian Johnson can run whatever he wants, but please give me the opportunity to fix this defense. You know, let me hire my guy, except, except, but like you said, we'll stay away from the Fangio stuff. All right. On that, uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, on that, I just asked Sal Pal, does he look at this team as a team in, uh, in a rebuild? What do you say? Rebuild to what extent? Uh, I, I said, I think the words that I said were a total. Here's what Sal said. I asked him, is this a total rebuild? Here's what he said. Yes, they're in a rebuild. I think everybody's in agreement. There's a consensus. This team is this team's not going to the playoffs next year. Wow, that big of a rebuild. Whoa, they're losing Jason wow. Kelsey. They might lose Fletcher Cox. And the way this team has played the last seven weeks, you think this is a playoff team last Oh, no. Weeks? There you go. He, that's a good point, though. I mean, they, they were the worst team in the NFL the last seven weeks. I, I I think we all can agree on that. They were the worst team in the NFL in the last seven weeks. I, I, think, allow, it's, I think it's unquestionable uh, that they were the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, they just fell off a cliff. Um, do I think they're a playoff team next year? Yeah, I do because of the quarterback. I, I honestly do. I think because of the quarterback, because of the receiver. But what does Sal know that we don't? Like, I, I know there's a couple things going on in that locker room that – I did not like. I will not repeat them, but um, I mean, the rebuild thing could. Well, I, and without, without, again, okay, so you said I'm not repeating it without, but player oriented, players against the coaches, questioning that kind of stuff, or like. Player, player oriented, like one side of the ball versus the other, that type okay, of Okay, because I asked Golik about that a couple of weeks ago when I had him on. You know, did one side of the ball start to resent the other side of the ball? Um, you know, I look at it like this, you know, you talk about player, coaches, yada, yada. The Flyers are an example. I mean, the same coach, a lot of the players, but they had a lot of guys in there who just were eh, not buying in. And that brought, you know, that team last year stunk. You got a lot of the same players this year, and all of a sudden the team is playing really well. Well, sometimes you got to get some of the, the bad guys that are bringing everybody else down out of there. Yeah, well, Jordan Malata said this on the record. I can speak for all offensive line about being accountable. I know we were accountable, and I would agree with him. Dickerson, Kelsey, Lane, all those guys. You know, they're they're a very close thick group, a lot of those guys. Fred Johnson, uh, guys like that, they're all close. And they were close to some of the guys on the defensive side, too, on the defensive line mainly. And I will say this, uh, Jack Leonard, who won't be here next year, uh, he was part of that. So maybe he bought in too, but I noticed I never saw 
other position groups mingle with each other, like the offense and the defensive line did, and a couple linebackers. So, you know, look at the, look at it that way. Like I never saw receivers go and talk to the cornerbacks. Hmm. I, I mean, well, outside of AJ Brown and Sly, I'll say that they're. I know they're close. Um. They got a lot of decisions. They got a lot of free agents. They got a lot of problems. Contracts. James Bradbury. I don't know that Slay is a huge problem, but he's getting older. He got hurt again. You got a lot of money tied into those corners. Um, does Rose? I, I think Slay's good for the young guys. I really do. Um, you know, he gave me a really good answer about about Keely Ringo, about Eli Ricks. A lot of the young guys seem to respect him. And same with the younger defensive tackles with Fletcher Cox. That's why I would bring those two back, honestly. Uh, yeah, I don't know where I, I I think I'm ready to move on from those guys. I, I mean, I just feel like I, I understand it. I do. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, do. I just like at some point the sentimentality, and I get it. They still played pretty well, but how much do I have to pay those guys to come back? And can I take that money if I'm paying Brandon Graham eight million and, and Fletcher Cox? I don't know ten, twelve million bucks. Can I use that money to finally invest in some linebackers and some? and some safeties because you can't neglect those spots again. Here's one. What do you do with Hassan Reddick? Because you know he wants money. That's a tough one. It is. And he disappeared at the end of the season too. And Josh Sweat, you know, he he looked like they played him too much. It it looked like he slowed down big time. Um, But you have to trust now that, all right, we've got Carter and Davis and Milton Williams is going to have to have a bigger role, and we just move on from Fletcher and Graham we, you know, and and you gotta. And Jordan Davis seemed to imply Fletch is gone, or at least talked like he wasn't going to be back because he said, "Look, we don't have the security blanket anymore." It's Here's all the thing, us Jeff. Now. I think Kerr, I mean, I think uh, Fletcher will get a deal from another team that the Eagles just shouldn't match. I, I would agree there. Yeah, that that's the thing. If Fletch wants to come back, I'm sure. But again. If you have a chance to get fourteen million from somebody else, and the Eagles are only offering you eight nine, yeah. you take the fourteen, right? DeAndre Swift, what do you think? <sighs> Eagles don't pay running backs multiple years, and I I, I, I may be in the minority here. I was not impressed with him this year at all. Well, I, I, said, I, I said that all year. I, I don't think he's as good as people think he is. I, I look, but, I, I agree. I. I I, well, and I said, if I'm DeAndre Swift, do I even want to come back? I don't like the way they use me. Yeah, they didn't use him right at all. That, that was the other thing I think I was upset with. I think they thought they were going to have that north-south guy in Rashad Penny, which never happened, to pair with DeAndre Swift. And Swift, it was basically Swift and a bunch of guys. And Swift is just not – I Eagles fans do not want to hear this. They were better off with Miles Sanders in 2022 than they were with DeAndre Swift in 2023. And I know I'm Penn State grad. I know I know Miles Sanders, but I'm just telling you, look at the look at the running back position and how productive it was. It was they were first in the NFL in yards after contact last year. They were dead last this year. What does that tell me? Yeah. Well, I I tell you. Um I said this many times about Swift. You know, oh, he's from Philly. He went to high school there, and then and that's why people's opinion are skewed. If he was from Florida, no one would give a crap. Exactly, and expounded by the fact 
that the game the Lions played the Eagles last year, he had like 150 yards against them. So that added to. Yeah. And week one when he's healthy. Exactly. All right, Jeff Kerr, we got a lot on the offseason. You going to the Super Bowl? I am not sure yet. I don't think so. Honestly, Mike, um, I'm doing the Ravens game tomorrow. I'm doing the Ravens run. Um, and Sal then will be that, at the, Sal Powell's in Baltimore tomorrow. You should tell him. Oh, hey. oh yeah, I probably will see him. But, <laughs> I mean, but usually every time I'm in Baltimore, Sal Powell, I think we're like a seat or two away from each other. Well, there you go. So I'm sure I, we'll be chatting. I told him you got to go down there and get a pizza from Isabella's. I'll tell you the same thing, and then tell me how the pizza was. All right. Where is it? Where's Isabella? Little Italy. Okay. Yeah. Right up the street from MT MB, uh, MNT Stadium. I mean, you could yeah, walk. Yeah, a st- it's in, it's in that corner there by. Um, uh, Camden Yards, right? The the stadium? Yeah, where Isabella's and all those restaurants. Oh, no. Right? It's, uh, Little Italy, it's like uh, you got to pass the Inner Harbor, pass the aquarium, but it's like right past the aquarium. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jeff Kerr, we'll talk to you in the offseason. Let me know about the Super Bowl. Yeah, sounds great, buddy. Hey, hey, you know what? At least we'll see each other in clear one. Uh, we'll be there. Those dates. I will. I gave you my dates. Yeah, yes, you did. And I, I definitely will make some time for my guilt. We're definitely going to have to <laughs> grab a drink, grab some food, do something. All right, brother. <laughs> Jeff Kerr, everybody, CBS Sports here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Football at 4, Adam Kaplan's on the way. Mike Missinelli tonight at 5 o'clock. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. So earlier I was telling you about this story about Jim Palmer, the former Orioles pitcher, Baltimore. Yeah. Talking a lot of Baltimore today. It's your favorite town. So apparently Palmer is accusing his former friend, who was his hairstylist, of defrauding him out of a million dollars. Wait, what? <laughs> I know, it sounds ridiculous. Uh, the guy convinced Palmer and his wife to help fund several hairstyling businesses. And then the guy basically took the money oh. and ran. Wow. So Palmer gave this guy all this money he's investing right. into. So the guy was his hairstylist. And he thinks he's investing into this business venture. Yeah. And the guy's just pocketing the money. Mm-hmm. Yep, lifelong friend, cut his hair, his hairstylist, and then uh, that happened. Yes, it just shows you just can't trust people who cut your hair. Nope, that's why you don't tell the stories to the hairstylist. All these people go to the barber shop, and they're telling stories. That's uh, it's not like uh, the vault. You gotta have the vault to the people at the hair salon or the barber shop. By the way, DeAndre Eaton, I can't believe you didn't hear the story. So he missed the game the other night for Portland. Did you hear the reason why? No. He was iced in his house. He could not get out of his neighborhood because of the ice. It was too icy. The neighborhood he was in, they could not dry. He could not get out. He missed the game. Did no one could come and get him? No. Nobody came and got him. Nobody, nothing. So his reason on the injury report, I saw this, was ice. You ever seen that happen before? Ice, baby, ice. Football at four. Adam Kaplan with the very latest on the birds' off season. It's here. It's next. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for football at four with Adam Kaplan. 
powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise, as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. The Eagles offseasons never seem to be ordinary. And Adam Kaplan, co-host of the Inside the Birds podcast, which you can find on any podcasting platform or on their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. He joins me now as the Eagles offseason is here. And the bigger story is Sirianni's meeting with the owner and uh, we'll find out, is he safe? We don't have any news or indication of how that meeting uh, went yet. Uh, do we think we'll have an answer by the end of the day? Is this something Lori's going to kind of sit on? How are you on this fine Friday there, Adam Kaplan? Mike, uh, yeah, I'm well. You know, we got snow out here in uh, Chester County here in Pennsylvania, so... I got to go out tonight. I have uh, somewhere I have to appear, so I, I have to get on the road. I'm not looking forward to that, but looking forward to about talking about the Eagles. You know, Mike, it's really interesting. I, I swear, it seems like yesterday you and I were talking. It probably was a Friday segment. I'd have to go look at my notes, but you know, in our reporting here at Inside the Birds, you know, there was all this. Oh, Doug Peterson's safe, and we didn't react. We said on our, our show that morning, Peterson's either in or out, depending on how the the meeting goes with the owner. It didn't go well, so the owner gave him another chance at another meeting. It didn't go well, and then he was fired. So anyone saying that Sirianni's safe doesn't really know what's going on. He's The owner doesn't want to fire him. It's all about the plan. Does the owner approve the plan or not? It's really that simple. There's no, there's no midway. There's no, like, maybe or we'll see. It's does he approve it or not? There, there's no middle ground here. So, you know, we broke this down, Mike, uh, uh, for about an hour today on our show. We broke it down every scenario we gave you everything that we know about the situation, what, what kind of staff that they're looking, uh, the revised staff that Nick's going to put together here, if he's the head coach. You know, it's one thing to go into this expecting to be expecting to be the head coach, but it's another thing that what does the owner think? And that you know, we've tried to convince people, folks, ignore speculation. It's all about what Jeffrey thinks, and that's all that matters. So, what does Jeffrey want to hear? It's a good question. It's actually a great question. Okay. So let me let me let me go into what happened in three exactly three years ago with Doug Peterson. Doug, Jeffrey wanted to bring Doug back, but what Doug knew was he was prepped. We were told then, and I remember this like it was yesterday. Peterson was prepped for the meeting. He told him, "Make sure that you've got a revised coaching staff. Your pick for offense coordinator will not be acceptable." He still went with it, and, and Lurie said no. He had some other changes. That's not what got him fired. What got him fired was his offense coordinator choice. Everybody knows it was Press Taylor. It's been well reported by us and others. Uh, and Press was under tremendous pressure uh, with the Jaguars this season. It didn't go well when he called plays, but he was able to keep his job. But Doug fired over 10 coaches, by the way, on both sides of the football. But Doug's still the head coach of Jacksonville. Uh, but going back to three years ago, Mike, the owner wanted to have a good plan of guys who, like, the problem with Press Taylor, Carson Wentz regressed, Nate Sudfeld regressed. I know it's on a smaller version, Mike, but he did. And that was the guy who was really working a lot with the quarterback. And he got, he got, he got, he got knocked out. I mean, he, he that was the guy that uh, was a big uh, stumbling point in Doug Keeping's job. That's not a secret. And, you could call him what you could call the situation whatever you want to call, it, but 
facts are facts. If the owner does not believe that the quarterback's being developed, and by the way, once is on a major regression, my terrible regression, as you know, he got benched, and the head coach had no answers. He didn't have good answers. And he lost his job after the 2020 season. Um, the Brian Johnson thing in this, um, he's getting interviews yeah. around the league, okay? So sure. he's got three head coaching interviews. He's also, would you say, in peril of losing his job here? I mean, have you ever seen a situation where a guy is being respected enough around the league to possibly take over as their head coach but could also lose the job he currently holds? Well, Brian Billick, I remember this because I reported this back in, um, I'm gonna, geez, was it 2013? I, I, I don't have it here. It was 10 years ago. But I'm almost certain that, remember when Chip Kelly said no, he, he – he first said he wasn't going to take the job, and then he changed his mind. But in, in the, the interim, I almost certainly talked to Brian Billick, uh, the former Ravens head coach, after he got fired. I'm pretty certain of that. Uh, so that would be a, a time when a guy gets fired, and uh, but now he was, of course, a head coach then. But this one, look, Brian Johnson's still under contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know as a fact that they're looking into coordinator names. We gave you the coordinator names this morning. Uh, Mosher and I, uh, with West Coast offensive background, that's what we're hearing. Uh, w- w- the guys that they'll get into now. What does this mean for Brian Johnson? On your question, does this mean that he's out? Does this mean he'll be reassigned? Uh, what will will he have a role? We don't know. I mean, it, it, it's not been decided. And by the way, a lot of the names that we've heard that they're looking into, these guys are not only are they under contract, some are still coaching, and who knows if they want to come here? Because think about this, Mike. As a coaching source told me earlier this week, if Sirianni stays, you know he's going to be in the major hot seat. And if you're a coach and want to come in here or think about it, are you going to remove your family here knowing that you could be one and done here? That's a factor, Mike. Yeah, um, the West Coast uh, background thing is interesting. Um, That would assume that uh, Sirianni would then basically seed any of his offense. So basically, hey, Jeffrey, I'm willing to turn my offensive philosophy over to someone else. See, I had thought throughout the day that he says, look, I've been running this offense. It's been my offense. Brian didn't get the chance to run his offense. Let's let him take over the offense. Here's the problem, Mike. Yes, that is absolutely a fair point. Very good one. Here's the problem. Sirianni's running a meld of a couple systems. It's not a true West Coast. There's some true West Coast in it. There's some other systems in it. it the system this season was an absolute dismal failure. Let's call it, let's call it, let's call it like it is, Mike. Mm-hmm. It was awful. It regressed over series weeks. Teams figured it out. Uh, I remember when Chip Kelly, I was talking to the players then in 2013, 2014. Chip never had a second act. Once they figured it out, he, he didn't know what to do. Well, in fact, he, he was too stubborn. Now, I, don't, I was talking to a coach who was very close to Nick, who's coaching with not here, but a guy coaching with a, 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 at another stop. He said Nick absolutely will be open to changes. He, said, he goes, I know Nick well enough. This meeting should not be a problem. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'm not convinced of that, but look, I don't know Nick. We'll see how it goes today and if there are any other meetings over this, but... The system didn't work this season. I don't care about last year. I don't care about 22. Mike, it doesn't matter. That happened last year. The system that he ran this season, which he claims is the same, didn't work. And, see, this is what Jeffrey's got to ask at Howie in this meeting today and whoever else is in there. What, do you, what tweak, like, if you want the new OC to run your system, if you're going to hire an OC, well, well, don't, what if they want to bring their new system in? That's another thing. If, they wanna, if they're talking to these West Coast guys, right, if they do get some of these guys to interview, like Shane Waldron, by the way, we believe will be on their list, who's the Seahawks 
uh, coordinator who's going to interview some for some jobs. Well, he's 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 got this he's got Shanahan in his background. This is completely different than the scheme they run here. How, how would you melt both? I it would be hard to do. I I don't see them hiring someone who won't be able to run their system. It'd be hard to run next, to be honest with you. Well, and and like if I'm Brian Johnson, I'm looking at it and, and I'm saying, look, I I I'm, I'm calling plays for an offense that's not mine. That's like right. Adam right. Kaplan handed me your playbook and said, Mike Gill, call my plays, and I said, I, I I don't want to call your play. I don't like your plays. I want to call my play. Right. So, Mike, I'm just going to say, by the way, Matt Patricia did that. Matt Patricia stupidly, he should have done this. As explained to us by a coaching source, what you should do in a situation like this, when you're, whether you're calling the plays an offensive defense, you take the same defense, you take your package of plays that worked, you call them. You, you have your blitz packages. You look at all of them. You find ones that you're comfortable with, and you run them. You don't run your system. You can't do that yeah. in season. That was foolish by Patricia. Um, so what will it take in your mind for him to keep his job, and what will it take for him to lose his job? Like... Do you think Laurie goes into this with an open mind? Does he lean one way? Is he saying, I really want to keep this guy? So, I mean, how can he be, you know, pushed one way or the other here? Another thing. So, this is my feeling going into right after the game. The Syria is going to be out for sure, 100%. He's going to be out by Wednesday. You're not going to, because yes, the game ended late. They didn't get home to very early Tuesday morning. So, you're going to fire him Tuesday or Wednesday. That didn't happen. So that tells me that he'd like to keep him. That doesn't mean he's staying, though. Again, he wanted to keep Peterson three years ago. You know how that ended. So what does he have to do to keep his job? I don't think it'll work if he, re- if he wants to revise his staff, with guys, just shuffle guys around with his staff who are currently on it. I, I don't see that happening. I, don't, I, I, can't, I just don't see Jeffrey agreeing to that. Jeffrey has got to feel comfortable that Nick, and, and that it's not just the list. It's feel confident because now they can have real conversations in season we reported on our show that we know that they've had they've had meetings, but you can't get extensively into it, have hour by hour conversations in season like you can do now. The coaches, by the way, in every building that are not in the playoffs, they get about two or three weeks off, and then they come back to work, mm-hmm. get ready for the combine and and uh, off season. So now's the time to have these long meetings, and they typically last for hours. And that's what happened over the two meetings. The second meeting was not as long for Doug two, uh, three years ago. The first one was longer. So Nick has just got to be smart, and, and I know for a fact that they prepped him for this. So he's just got to come in with a smart, detailed list that's thought out. Jeffrey wants detail, man. He doesn't want you to, okay, well, you know what? I got this list of four guys, and uh, that's it for offense quarters. That's not going to work. You better have a long list. Joe Banner told me, I talked to Joe Banner, former Eagles president, earlier this week. This is incredible. When he met with, when he interviewed for the, the, the Eagles head coaching job, the only one he ever interviewed with for, when he was the um, t- uh, quarterback's coach for, and, and, and tight ends coach, you remember he was never a coordinator? He had a list for each position 10 deep, 10 deep, Mike, of coaching, possible coaching hires. Think about that. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I've questioned about Nick is how yeah. deep does the Rolodex go? Exactly. Great. And that's what I said. He's not, Jeff and I, Jeff agree with me that you can't come in here with only two or three by, by position. I'm not saying he's got to fire the whole staff, but we know the offense was dreadful to close the season. We know that defense was a joke. Mm. So you better have a nice – You like, yeah, you can move a couple guys around and give them more responsibility, but you can't do it with 15 guys. They're going to be major changes here. They're going to have a new coordinator. Right. Well, when you say changes to the coaching staff, let me ask you real quick um, yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. Do you think, hey, 
I'm not pitching this Fangio defense again. I'm going into Laurie and telling him we are revamping the style of defense we play. You know, people are saying, oh, Fangio is dead. First of all, did they understand how many injuries the Dolphins had? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not backing Vic. I don't know the guy. Mm-hmm. But you got to have better context when you say something doesn't work. People like to make broad statements without context. I kind of laugh when people do that without any information. I, I talk to Dolphins a lot. They've had massive injury issues on defense in the second half. Now, um, it, it, it didn't work here. Well, okay. Um, Sean Desai was a young coordinator. Did they hire a guy who had more than one year being a defense coordinator? No. They hired a guy who only did it one year. And by the way, he, he probably shouldn't have got the job anyway. So have better context when you say something didn't work. It, see, the problem with the me, some of the media who don't know any better or some of the fans who just make broad statements, they don't talk to anybody. Jet Mosher and I are constantly talking to people because I, I had the same thought of, like, is, is the Fangio thing struggling? No. I, I talked to enough people in the league who are like, no. Yes, you could nickel. It makes you nickel and dime, but you you got to look at the personnel that they're working with. Was it a personnel issue with an injury issue, or was it bad coaching? See, and Vic's a great coach. By the way, the Fangio defense is pretty good for a lot of the season. It it, it started struggling. He's next. Uh, Vic started struggling, but he was without a lot of players. Now here, look look down five starters, Mike. Two other corners. I mean, come on, man. I mean, it's like. They didn't have good enough talent. Would right. you not agree? Oh, listen, the talent on the defense, they got, and, and it brings you to a conversation we can have next week, is is this team yeah. in rebuild mode now? All of a sudden, you go from Super Bowl, up two scores at half, 10-1, and one, to now where we're asking, is this a total rebuild to this team? And Great question. Before I get out of here, that has got to come up, Mike. That is an awesome point. That better come up today from Nick. And Nick, Nick and Howie, see, Howie's got to be – he can't come in and say, oh, we should have been in the Super Bowl with this roster. Hell no. Come on, man. I, I, do we overrate this roster? Now, now, I said to start the season they won't be as good record-wise because the roster is not as good. But we also said the, the rest of the league is not as good, and that's true. But I, I, I know Jeffrey well enough to know that he's not going to say, like, this team should have been better. Of course it should have been better. And it's a coaching issue and a, and a personnel issue. Uh, Adam Kaplan, Inside the Birds. Make sure you listen to the podcast and uh, check him out here during football at 4. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Adam Kaplan, co-host of the Inside the Birds podcast, which you can find on any podcasting platform or on their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. Yeah, he brought it today. A lot of good stuff in there. And if you listen to the Inside the Birds podcast, he said he mentioned some names. Um, offensive coordinators with a West Coast offensive background. Do you guys remember right after the 49er and Dallas losses to Philadelphia had? Do you remember um, when I talked about a lot of these teams are running this spread offense? San Francisco, West Coast. Dallas went with McCarthy, more of a West Coast. And you, because a lot of teams run this Fangio defense to try to take away the spread offense. So then these the offenses said, all right, we'll get away from doing that. We'll go to a West Coast offense, which kind of attacks the areas that are weak in the Fangio defense. When you're running slants and stuff over the middle of the field, the Fangio defense not as effective. So do the Eagles now, when everybody zigs one way, do the Eagles zig with them, or do they try to zag into another direction? I think that's something that Nick has to really – put together in terms of when I asked Adam, what does Lori want to hear? And something that sticks in my head covering this team as long as I have. 
And I'll never forget this statement because I was standing shoulder to shoulder with Jeffrey Lurie in this media scrum when he said, we want to be five years ahead of being five years ahead. And that was his reasoning on why they hired Chip Kelly. He thought that Chip Kelly was going to be everybody zigs one way and we're going to zag the other way. We want to be five years ahead of being five years ahead. And it was one of the reasons why they gave up on Andy because they thought that Andy's offense was getting predictable and kind of stale. And look, Andy Reid's offense in Kansas City is not Andy Reid's offense that he had in Philadelphia. You know, Andy ran a West Coast offense in Philadelphia. They are very spread-oriented in Kansas City. So what Andy did was evolve. He got new coordinators with different ideas. Mike Kafka, who is now the coordinator with the Giants, and you might say, well, the Giants' offense isn't very good. Well, they don't have very good pieces on that offense. Um, and Eric Bieniemy have been the coordinators for Andy, and he has taken some things from them. And guess what? Kafka's gone. The enemy's gone. And I know a lot of talent on the Kansas City's gone as well. But this is a really interesting situation in a story. Coming up at 5 o'clock tonight, Mike Missinelli, uh, Philadelphia radio personality for years. I mean, when you talk about getting the reaction of what's next for this team and how crazy it is that we're in this spot, Mike Missinelli is going to break it down for us tonight at 5 o'clock here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. And we've got football, excuse me, uh, sound of the day coming up here on the Sports Bash. So don't forget, that's on the other side. We'll hear some uh, more takes on what the Eagles organization could be thinking from Chris Long, Howie Long. Some interesting takes from those guys. That's all still to come on the Sports Bash. Sixers tonight against the Magic. And you can only hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash. We have the traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 427. I got to imagine there's not a ton of traffic like normal on a Friday today. A little snowy out there. A lot of people not working. Schools are out. A lot of activities. Now, I woke up this morning and didn't think much of, like, the snow. Because I had heard, for instance, like, some of the schools were having early dismissal today. Right. Not two-hour delays. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think that there would be snow in the morning. Figuring the schools were having early dismissal, meaning they thought that the people could get to school. Okay. But... Apparently, it snowed sooner than we thought because the schools just scrapped the whole day. They decided that, that was not going to happen. We really live in a soft society. <laughs> you think? I mean, I remember when I was, when I I mean, was I, in school. And I'm younger than you. So I, for me to say this, you know, when I went to school, it wasn't that long ago. And when I went to school, it was, you better get your butt to school or else. Well, my girlfriend is from, like, way western New York, like west of Syracuse, like further out. When she saw the amount of snow we had that canceled school today. She was like, this is nothing. I mean, she was almost embarrassed for all of us. <laughs> I mean... I eat breakfast with my father on Friday. Sometimes we do lunch. Well, today we uh, we usually do breakfast. Um, so my dad said, hey, are we still on? I looked out the window. I said, 
What do you mean it was still on? Like there's no <laughs> snow on the ground. I mean, there was snow, but the the roads were not the uh, not the amount them. of snow that would be of like major consequence. Yeah, I don't. I mean. Like there was a storm. Now you poor kids, you wasted a day. You're gonna have to stick it at the end of the year, yeah. all for what? I mean, you could have had a two-hour delay. You could have changed it from an early dismissal to the two-hour delay. I mean, I remember there was Jeez. a storm a couple years ago. <laughs> I was in charge of this stuff. I couldn't make it into the station a couple years ago because the, the the roads were so snowed. I had to turn around and go back. And I remember that I did the show at in my in my chair at home, remotely with you. I did that one time. Well, I mean, was, we could do remote, but that was the, like a foot of the snow. Schools can't. I mean, I guess they could. They did remote during COVID, but I, 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 I don't know. It just Call poor planning, Mike. Well, I mean, especially today, like you could send out a call or a text that say, "Hey, everybody, two hour delay." You can right. get that message out in, immediately. Immediately. I don't know. It's just humorous, I guess. I, I drove the. I like. I drove from my house to here. Um. There was no snow on the road. None. I mean, uh, like literally none. I mean, there was snow I get it. Like, I, I, guess they, I don't know what the roads look like when the kids go to school. But that's the point. You could have had a two-hour delay. I left my house at like 8.30 this morning. Right. The kids could have left at 9, let's say, and they would have been fine. Right? Yeah, two-hour delay. I mean, by 9 o'clock, there was no snow anywhere. Like, nowhere. None of the roads had snow on them. I, mean, I live on a street yeah. that has uh, nobody would attend to. Nobody would you have tend a very to my tiny street. street. And <laughs> there's no that. snow on my street. <laughs> I just was... feel like if I'm one of these kids, I'm yeah. like, now I got stuck going to school in the end of the year mm-hmm. for a day that and I really could have just, yeah. And you were giving them an early dismissal today anyway. That was the original plan, was early dismissal. Wait, you could switch it from early dismissal to just go in two hours late. Your tax dollars at work. Yeah. Listen, I live in Western K- KMA County. We had snow on the ground, but it wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, this is a problem. It was like, all right, I'm not speeding down the road. That's all. You could have speeded if you want. There was no snow. could have driven as fast as you wanted. There was no snow. Eh, not in my neighborhood. That, that would have been, uh, that been had, too risky. My ride from where I went <laughs> to where I got, I had no snow. None. So... I'm in EHT. So the EHT district, I don't know what Mainland did today, if they went to school or not. My girlfriend's sons don't go to Mainland. They go to EHT. EHT canceled school. I don't know what Mainland did, but I can say, if you lived from my drive, which takes me through Linwood and Northfield, Mm -hmm. there was no snow. You could have freely got from your house to Mainland High School and not seen any snow on the ground. That was at 8.30 when I was on the road. So I could have, earlier in the day, that's what I said, it could have been a two-hour delay. We could have saved a lot of this. We could have. So, All right, what do you got for me today? Uh, well, a man who walked up through snow both ways to school back in the day was Howie Long, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, right? And he was talking about the Eagles. And I thought he brought up a very interesting point about why the Eagles had the season that they did. This is Howie Long from First Things First on FS1. I think it's a team that went to a Super Bowl and lost. That's always a factor. I think it's a team that, you know, lost two very good coordinators and made two poor hires. And I think offensively, I think for 10, 11 weeks of the season, they could overcome that. You've got a certain amount of gas in your tank as a team, and they spent a lot of gas 
winning those 10 games out of the first 11. I don't like they spent a lot of energy coming out of the gate is essentially what he's saying there. Right. Because we've heard a lot about like the Super Bowl hangover and generally the Super Bowl hangover happens early in the season. And he's saying, well, they expended all this energy early. But guess what? If you're not any good, just because you expend a lot of energy doesn't mean all of a sudden. Like, they beat legitimately. Of the teams that are left in the playoffs, they played Tampa. They beat them in the regular in season. In the regular season, yep. They played Kansas City. Beat them they in Kansas City. Buffalo. Beat them. So three of the remaining teams in the playoffs, the Eagles played and beat. So I hear what he's saying, that they spent all this inner energy. But they spent the energy for like 12 weeks before this started to happen. Maybe 11 before. I mean, they lost a game to the Jets, and they were 10-1. and one. So that's 11 weeks into the year. They were 10-1. and one. And so I don't know that they that it was the like they expended all this energy early. I I don't know how to explain it. I said this yesterday. I I did. I it's not like I slept on it and showed up with an answer today. I feel like Nick Sirianni. We're in a run. I can't figure it out. I don't know what happened. The Eagles went from a team that we thought was pretty good to all of a sudden not right. not very good. And now as. Sal Powell said earlier, I asked him, is this a total rebuild? And he basically said he doesn't think this is going to be a playoff team next year. Yes, they're in a rebuild. I think everybody's in agreement. There's a consensus. This team is this team's not going to the playoffs next year. Wow, that big of a rebuild. They're losing Jason Kelsey. They might lose Fletcher Cox. And the way this team has played the last seven weeks, you think this is a playoff team last Oh, no. Weeks? No. I, I mean, if you ask me now... What's this team look like next year? If you say this is the same team coming back with this defense as built, no, they're not going to the playoffs next year. I would agree with them. I also think that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, they're going to have to make some changes. Howie Roseman has a history of not sitting on his hands during the offseason. He's, he's not a complacent individual. This would tell me that with what happened and how down everybody feels, they will be active in the offseason. They will make the moves that people get re-excited again. And, you know, oh, how, how did Howie do this? That's what's going to happen. What's interesting also is that, you know, the other part of what Howie Long said I wanted to bring to the, everybody out there is his perspective on the offense I thought was interesting because now Howie didn't play offense. He played defense. So maybe his perspective is a little Howie different. Howie Long, not Howie Roseman. Howie Long, right. His perspective is a little different than maybe like a Dan Orlovsky or Brian Baldinger would be, but this is Howie Long on the Eagles' offensive problems. And and I think on offense, it was more about the system and less about the players. But on defense, it was it was a combined kind of shortcoming, both from a scheme standpoint and a personnel standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think I could agree with that. It was more on offense that the system got figured out wasn't very becoming of. Because we talked about this yesterday. A.J. Brown had more catches this year and about the same amount of yards. Smith had more catches and more yards. 
Goddard had less of pretty much everything. Yes, across the board. Yeah. The running back, I mean, Swift was less yards than Sanders the year before. Correct. So I, I don't think it was a talent problem on offense. I t- certainly can agree with him there. So really quick, so if you combine what he said with what you talked with Adam Kaplan about, how the fact that they're they're looking at West Coast offense-type guys, is that is that enough of an offensive change? to fix from last year to the next year? Who are the guys? If it's mostly the same offense. You know, let, you know, oh, AJ, you mean the players? Well, yeah. the players, like, I don't see you know I'm saying? Like, if you, they personnel-wise. Change, if, yeah, if they're saying, you know, if he's saying that it was a, that, that the problem was the scheme, and Adam Kaplan was talking to you about how West Coast offense, West Coast offense, right? Well, is changing the offense enough? Or do they need to add something? Like we talked, remember yesterday about they need no, a third receiver. Well, they need a third or, receiver. You know, they're going to probably change the running back, right? They definitely need a third receiver. I will say that that, that would – look, I'll put it this way. No, they don't need a third receiver. If you had a dynamic play caller and a good offense, I don't think I need one. But if you're going to – like, you're good enough with what you had. You already proved that. You went to the Super Bowl a year ago with A.J. Brown and Smith. And who was the third receiver on that team? Watkins. Watkins. He was on the team. You lost two players from your offense, Samalu and Sanders. Correct. And nobody else. That's it. But you added, and you got worse. You added Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was supposed to be an upgrade to or competition for Watkins, and, and he became a nothing burger. Yeah. So, yes, if I'm being selfish, like this is what we do as fans. Um, you have five all stars on a baseball team, and the team gets knocked out in the playoffs. Now you need to get six, seven, and eight. Like your six, seven, and eight hitter now also have to be an all star. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't have nine all stars. Right. The Eagles have enough talent on offense that their offense should not be a problem or a question. So if they get the right play caller, that should fix. It should, yes. It, it, it. If you told me the Eagles did not make one change, now that's not the case because Kelsey's probably going to retire. Right. Now Jurgens will play center and somebody else is going to play right guard. The running back, I would imagine, is different. And I would also assume the third receiver is going to change. Right. But that is not. Watkins is a free agent, we should note. Thank God. Those should not be enough changes that make the offense inept. Mm. You still have A.J. Brown, Smith, Goddard, Hurts, uh, Lane Johnson, Mylotta, Landon Dickerson. You should be, you know, we're spoiled. The Eagles have five offensive linemen who are all pretty good. Some teams have to, like, plot through a season with, like, one capable offensive lineman. The Eagles have five. So, no, if they bring back the same personnel on offense, like their offseason should be all about how do we get more de- depth and talent and younger on defense. Well, did you mention the Eagles' offseason because Howie's son Chris Long on his podcast, the Green Light Pod, had a lot to say about the Eagles' situation. This is Chris Long's perspective on the Eagles offseason, and we'll dig deeper into what he had to say about Nick Sirianni. But uh, this way, he said what the, he expects from Howie Roseman and the Eagles this offseason. The personnel sucked on defense. Obviously, the scheme wasn't great easy either, but the personnel was the number one problem. When I look at the offense, 
I look at personnel as being the same group largely that went to the Super Bowl and was this close to beating the Chiefs. And the head coach that was the head coach there was Nick Sirianni. And I think they look at it like we can fix the scheme. And that's the difference between that team a year ago and this team. Um, so he's saying the personnel on defense sucked. Yeah. I agree. By the way, Chris has been saying that for months now. He has not been a fan of how they built this this defense. It's not just a, on January 19th him saying this. Look, I think the off- the defense, in hindsight, is easy to say. Like, I don't think we went into the season saying that we thought Bradbury was going to get two steps slower. Right. Slay ended up getting hurt. Um, so that kind of, you know, and then you already had a revolving door at slot corner. Mm-hmm. So now you're into a new slot corner and then a new outside corner. And then your safeties, that whole situation was a mess. You know, you trade for Bayard, and that doesn't work out. He's now old. So, But some of this you brought on yourself by letting, letting some of walk. these guys walk. Like, for example, and I'm not saying he would have fixed everything, but you could have brought back Marcus Epps. It's not like he went out and got, Well, like if you saw Clay million. Harbor's reports today, and yeah. Clay's been on the show, he was on the show... Um, I guess on Tuesday he was on, and he reported that both T.J. Edwards and Kaiser White were never even offered a contract. That's that's unacceptable. To so, me. like I said, you didn't have to bring back T.J. White and Chauncey Gardner Johnson. You could have brought back Kaiser White and Marcus Epps, so that at least you only had to replace one guy at linebacker and one guy at safety. Exactly. Instead, you had to replace all. Four players. And what you did is you were expecting Dean to replace Edwards, and you expected Morrow to replace White, and Dean couldn't stay healthy, and Morrow showed that he is a limited player. Yeah, Morrow was a journeyman guy, and, and look, uh, Clay talked about that because Clay covers a lot of built, uh, bears. bears, and mm-hmm. Morrow came from the Bears, and he said, look, he, nobody else wanted him. Nobody was b- fighting you for Nick Morrow. Heck, he started the season, they cut him, and nobody picked him up. You had to bring him back when Dean got hurt. And he ended up starting for you all season. Yeah. They they got to they gotta make some improvements offseason. Chris Long also went on to talk about why Nick Sirianni is the Eagles head coach. And his this is Chris Long's perspective on Howie Roseman. Take a listen. I think Howie likes to control as much as he can. I think Howie does a really good job as a GM. But he definitely wants to do what he wants to do. And when you have somebody like Doug, former player, now a coach with a Super Bowl ring, if they're not seeing eye to eye, he's throwing his weight around. I don't like this so much. And somebody like Nick Sirianni, the reason they hired him, I thought, partially was because he could work in concert with Howie and never have a leg up on Howie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. nobody's surprised by that. I mean, everybody's um, you know, first... Um, look at the Eagles as as fans is, well, Sirianni's a puppet, too. And I don't know if it's fair to say puppet as much as they work in concert. But as um, Chris Long said, but that's every team. You know, unless you're Bill Belichick, and by the way, Bill Belichick no longer is coaching in New England. Now he's probably going to go to – there's a very few guys that have – the clout that they can come in and say, I want a voice that's bigger than the GMs. Right. It's just not how the league works anymore. Yeah, because the, usually the GM is the one who hands the coach the team. The, usually the coach doesn't have a big say in the roster. 
and look, I think the coach should have a voice in in some of that. Hey, we sit down together. Like you say, you yeah. sit down together in concert. You sit down together and say, look, this is the offense I run. These are the guys I think would fit it pretty well. Um, you know, who are you targeting here? I mean, look, th- these things. I'm pretty sure that Nick Sirianni isn't doesn't have the door slammed in his face when they try to make personnel decisions. Everybody sits in the room, and they go around, and they have an opinion. I thought it was interesting. He said how he likes to control as much as he can. And by the way, he's the GM of the team. That's his job. We talk about this all the time. I don't want Kevin Durant telling me how to make moves on the floor because when Kevin Durant tells me to do something and then I listen to him, my team starts to fall apart. When you let Aaron Rodgers start to make decisions on who he wants to play wide receiver and I listen to him, that's a mistake. So good for Howie saying, I'll make the decision. That's my job. You're the coach. I'm giving you the respect to let you have input, but that doesn't mean I have to do what you're telling me to do. That's the way jobs work. You have a role. I have a role. And I can listen to some of your ideas. That doesn't mean I have to do them. Same with Howie and whoever he hires as the coach. And guess what? We should be happy that the coach doesn't get to step over. You know, we hear all this time, oh, football guy, this guy. I don't want Michael Jordan making personnel decisions because Michael Jordan's not good at it. And neither was Magic Johnson or Isaiah Thomas or anybody other than maybe a handful of guys. Not just because you're the coach or the player doesn't mean you know more. And that's why some guys are players and coaches and some guys are GMs and executives. Uh, Mike Bissinelli, 5 o'clock tonight. Stick around. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's with Mike Gill. Keeping the fans entertained and happy. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 4.52. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, Friday 5 brought to you by BMW of Atlantic City. Your luxury BMW experience is closer than you think. Take advantage of exceptional savings at BMW Atlantic City. Shop the complete line of inventory online, BMWAtlanticCity.com. So uh, last week what I did was uh, for the Friday Five, I ranked my five favorite games. This week there's only four. Uh, My favorite games this week, number four on the list of games that I have interest versus no interest would be... It's a tough one because you're at the round now where all four games are pretty good. And they all have significance. Because I'm interested in Detroit. Like, I want to see if Detroit can break through and become this great story. If Tampa gets to the NFC Championship game, oh, my gosh. Um, That game, (laughs) though, would probably be fourth on my list. Okay. Texans. Really quick, is part because Tampa's in it? Yeah, I just don't want to see Tampa get to the NFC Championship game because then I think it's a, a bad NFC Championship game. Uh, I think the Texans-Baltimore would be number three. Uh, I'm very intrigued. I love Stroud. Baltimore, see if Lamar can get to that AFC Championship game for the first time. And then Green Bay-San Francisco would be two. Um, I want to see Jordan Love, how he, you know, the momentum that he has from that game. Can he... This is kind of like your chance. Like, everybody's like, whoa, Jordan Love. If you have another week like that, you now possibly 
have become the next big quarterback. So that's a big game for the quarterback world. And then the game you're most interested in is Kansas City and Buffalo. That would be four. Um, if I want to throw a fifth game in there just to, for for fun. Well, what I else are you uh, watching this weekend? Well, I got Sixers tonight, and I got go. Sixers Saturday. Yep. We're interested in the game tonight uh, against Orlando. Orlando was a team that got off to a really good start, start earlier in the year, and they've kind of faded a little bit here. They are now the eighth seed. But, you know, fun team, fun game. That game there, uh, the Charlotte team, they're, they're terrible. They're 8-30. and 30. Charlotte's 8-30. and 30. And by the way, there's two teams in the East worse than them. The Pistons, right? Detroit's the worst team in the league. They are 4-37. and 37. I'm trying to think of the other worst team. There's two teams that are worse. There's three teams that are worse than them, period. There's two in the East, one in the West. Uh, the Wizards? The Wizards are 7-33. and 33. And then the West. I'm trying to think who's horrible. The West. Aren't the Jazz having a bad year? No, the Jazz are actually having a surprisingly good year. The Jazz are currently ahead of the Lakers. They're the uh, nine seed in the play-in. All right, who's the other bad team in the West? San Antonio has won seven oh, games with right. Victor Wambayama. They are 7-33. and 33. I guess subconsciously you don't think they're that bad because they have Victor. They might get the number one pick again. And Detroit might get the number one pick again. Who needs it more? <laughs> Detroit's 4-37. Uh, when we come back, Nick Sirianni's future. What should happen to Nick? We'll ask Mike Missinelli, Philadelphia radio personality, next right here on the Sports Bash. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We know that Sirianni and, and Howie Roseman have been kind of reaching out around the league to see what this could be. So, I mean, you can't go in there and say, here's who I'm going to hire. That's against the rules. You have to do an interview process, and you don't know. These guys are going to be in demand elsewhere, too. But if you can say to Lurie, look, I know I can get one of these guys, and here's what it would look like. I mean, look, Sirianni has more good than bad on his resume. Like, he does. And and the way this season ended is terrible and, and definitely counts against him. But it doesn't mean it determines his fate. All right, that was Dan Graziano earlier today. He said, uh, more good than bad from Nick Sirianni. But was the band so bad that it stinks so bad, Mike Missinelli, that that should do the head coach in? I mean, 36-20, and 20, Super Bowl, but these seven games were so bad. Should there even be a decision here? Not for me. Uh, you know, I, that, that is uh, it's such a historic collapse that uh, if, a, if a head coach is unable to plug a leak like that at all, and it got worse and worse and worse. I, I don't know what the justification would be because that to me is the true measure of his abilities. There's a lot of hats you have to wear as a head coach. Yeah, you have to be the head coach who designs and plans the offense, which is what he does. But you also have to be able to, to have a, a hold of your team. And if your team unravels like that, you can't stop it. I, that's not in your bag of tricks. So I, I want a coach who's would be able to stop something like that. And he wasn't. So, you know, I, I take no pleasure in saying a guy should be fired, but I don't know how you can sell this guy back. Uh, you could probably sell him to a team. I, you know, I think all these accolades that he's getting in the locker room are predictable because nobody's going to say that what they really feel about him. So I don't, 
I think we get thrown off by the players supporting them. Um, but you can't sell that to the fan base. And I don't know if you can sell it to the locker room either because he helped fragment that locker room with the defensive coordinator decision, whether it was his decision or whether it was Lurie's decision. It's still, it was still evident that that blew the team apart and he had no way of bringing it back together. Uh, Mike Missinelli from the Mike Missinelli podcast. Um, Mike, you know, what's going on today? What is happening between Lori and Roseman and Sirianni? Kind of in your mind, how are you seeing this all happening on a Friday here? I, I think it's the same thing that happened with Doug Peterson. I think that Lori challenges these guys, okay, come back with what your plan is. Obviously, it didn't work what we had. So what are your ideas to, to move forward in the future, just like he did with Doug Peterson? And Doug Peterson said, well, I don't really think we have to be that drastic. I got guys on my staff that I, I, I want to still keep on the staff, and we just go from there. And that wasn't good enough from Lori. So unless Jerry Henney, who, who he should know what to say, he wants to save his job, he should say, listen, I'm wide open. Howie and I this week have been looking at uh, these coordinators who I think would really fit here, and here's the reason why we fit, and here's what I want to do on offense and defense with these new guys. Like He would have to have a whole book to convince Laurie that he's on the same page. Because Laurie's on another page. Trust me when I tell you that he's on that page where he's doing all this analytical research like he usually does because he thinks he's the smartest football evaluator ever. And so if the two sync up, when Sirianni says syncs up with what Laurie thinks, he'll he'll be given the chance to to take the job again. Now, right. the the other scenario is Mike that you know Doug Peterson heard that and he said off off, and, and so, uh, so and I don't think Sirianni is going to be that because he's a new coach. Yeah, I agree. And it's good to be a coach in this league, and he's young, and he he doesn't want to uh, uh, burn a bridge like that. So he'll take whatever Laurie suggests, but he's first got to come in with the plan. Because if Lori says, are you you okay with what we want to do? Here's my plan. Are you okay with that? I I heard your plan, and I like it a little bit, but I really like this plan. Are you going to be on board with that? So do you think he says yes, which I expect he will, then Lori says, okay, we'll give you another shot. Yeah, I'm on board with you that Peterson could say, I got another job. I don't need to do what you're doing. I don't think uh, Sirianni feels the same way. If he's fired, he might not even be a wide receivers coach someplace else next year. Does Lori got to hold on to this? Yes, exactly. Does Lori go into this meeting today leaning, I'm firing this guy unless he blows me away? Or does he want to keep this guy? I think he wants to keep him. Now, you know, he he just went on a Caribbean vacation for a couple of days to calm down from the grim death that he looked at looked like uh, during that game at the end of the game. So maybe he's a little refreshed. He's had a couple of trop- tropical cocktails, and he feel, he's like open-minded, and he comes in, and that's the, the good mindset to listen to, to Sirianni. But, uh, yeah, he, he uh, to me, wants to keep him. Because if he doesn't, let's go back to how he hired him. Like, he always hires these guys that the league goes, oh, my God, he must have had, look at what, how insightful is he. that He picks this guy that nobody ever thought could be the head coach. And look at that, he... The guy went to the playoffs three years in a row, and he, he went to a Super Bowl. He must be brilliant. If he gives up on that, he gives up his 
his brilliance to, to the rest. And he, believe me, he loves to impress people, important people, especially NFL owners, that he's he's really above the grade and he's into it and he knows football. And he's measured that he, he has this new style of analytics that incorporate. And I have an analytical staff. I'm way ahead of the game. He doesn't want to uh, give up on that. And he, he would, in other words, he'd be admitting a mistake if he did that. I don't think he's the type of guy that, that wants to do that. What do you make, Mike, of Roseman essentially giving Sirianni the answers to the test? Let me get with you. Let's let's, and we'll go together here and say, look, these are the guys Nick's putting together with my help that we're going to go reach out to. Yeah, yeah, I think Roseman is leaning towards Sirianni. I, I didn't realize there was that much of a bond with Sirianni. In the end, you know, it makes me think that that was really a more of a Roseman influence, and he convinced Lori to go with Sirianni, and, and so his personal rep is at stake too because he he put the Roseman kiss on, on that hire <laughs> with, with Sirianni. So now he's he's trying to help him get through this because he knows he knows that what Jeffrey Lurie's going to do. He knows how he's going to react. He's seen it firsthand. So given the answers to the test, is that going to make him lose clout with Lori? I don't think so. I think Lori loves this collaborative effort. I think he would appreciate the fact that, that Roseman and Sirianni actually did their own due diligence, and we'll just see if it matches up with Lori's due diligence. So I put a tweet out today that's getting a lot of reaction. I want to see what you think, you know. On, on this thought process here. As frustrated as the Eagles fans are, they do have the second most playoff wins since the year 2000. I would imagine they have more front office people taken from them than any. I mean, it feels like they get two and three people poached from their front office every year. And they've got to have coaches around this league. Almost every one of them seems like they've been here. So whatever they're doing, other teams seemingly want to duplicate do the Eagles look at that and say, what we're doing works and you guys are all wrong? I think they picked two coordinators last year that were already hot names. And so uh, I don't know if they were Eagle branded or whether they, they remain hot names. You know, Gannon was a hot name. Slankin was was kind of a hot name. So they spent a little bit of time here, but everybody had those two guys on their radar uh, anyway, uh, I mean, I don't really know how to answer that question. Brian Johnson got interviewed, and uh, you know, I, the Rooney Rule figures into this, right? Brian Johnson is a, is a higher higher profile black candidate, and I think these teams use that Rooney Rule uh, disgracefully. Well, they, I will say on, on Brian candidates out of the way on Brian Johnson. Apparently, his interviews. Those teams had already satisfied the Rooney Rule, so they did not have to interview him. And okay, well, he interviewed fair. virtually. I don't know what they possibly could have seen yeah. in Brian Johnson this year. Well, that's I the thing. I just don't understand it. Is this a year where you want to interview Brian Johnson? I mean, he was been on the hot seat for the last eight weeks. He didn't come out of the season as a hot property, did he? No, that, and that's the oddity here. So does Sirianni say, listen, you guys gave me Brian Johnson. He wasn't my pick. You gave him to me, but I made him run my offense. Let's keep Brian, and we'll let him run his offense. Is that a possibility in your mind, or is Johnson part of the stink, and he has to go too? Now, you know, it's a good point because Sirianni, let's face it, Sirianni, this was Sirianni's offense. Everybody who covers this team and, and, and from the inside out, the, everybody who talked about it, this said, Brian Johnson's running what Sirianni wants to have run. 
So, so maybe they're able to separate that and say, you know, Brian Johnson's a pretty interesting mind. It was kind of shut down by, by this whole Syriani process. They were very unimaginative, right? So uh, he, I, don't, I mean, if Brian Johnson was the orchestrator of that unimaginative offense, I can't imagine anybody would be interested in him. But maybe the word is out that you know, he was kind of a sacrificial guy for, for Syriani's offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, what I think that they're going to go completely nouveau with coordinators. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's Laurie saving his head coach, but making drastic changes that people think need to be made. Yeah, you got, um, you know, and that's the thing. Like, Brian Johnson, is he getting these head coaching because they know he's not running? That's not his offense. We knew there was a smart guy that we like. The Eagles are missing a boat on this guy. So Yeah, and, and that's just really the same logic applies to to Sirianni and the defensive coordinator change. If if the Sirianni, if I, my personal opinion, I don't know how you feel. I, I think it was a Lori call. I think that. And we've talked about this. I've had this conversation with Seth Joyner many times that on that plane ride back in Dallas, that's when Jeffrey Lurie made that decision. Called Howie over and said, let's make a change. And so I think he saddled Sirianni with that. Now, if that is the case, if he lets Sirianni go, he risks Sirianni saying that. Now, Sirianni won't say it, so it's probably a pretty safe deal that he could fire Sirianni and then not even be culpable for suggesting that defensive coordinator change. Well, and I said before, Mike... If, in fact, Sirianni did go to them and made the, hey, I want to do this, and they said, fine, then that's a fireball offense. We let you do this. It blew up in your face and ripped this locker apart. Now we got to let you go. Fredo. Yeah. And so the longer this goes on, you're right, that that you would seem that would be a decision as an owner that I would make. This guy decided to do that. Right. That's a fireball offense, which leads me to believe even more that it was a Lori call. That's what he's He's hanging back here, and he's going to that old methodology where now Sirianni has to convince him that he has this new plan that's sort of in alignment with what Jeffrey Lurie's already thinking. So, Mike, uh, Mike Missinelli, the Mike Missinelli podcast you can get on all podcasting plat- podcasting platforms. Um, we're at the Super Bowl last year. The Eagles are up at halftime. Two scores. They look like they're going to be Super Bowl champions. Now they're 10-1. and one. And here we are. Is this a total rebuild? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Look at all the people that they they need at least 20 new players. Oh my. When you look at these positions, now there's a lot of guys that are, you know, in the last year that they can just lop off here. But let, let's look at their their position uh, dilemmas. First of all, on offense, which is, isn't even the biggest problem. On offense, they need three new running backs. Now, I don't think they're going to resign DeAndre Swift. They need three new running backs, which means they have to draft somebody, maybe grab somebody else. They misfired completely on Rashad Perry, a wasted signing. They need a, an important third receiver, not just a, a, a Zacchaeus type. An important third receiver who can be part of their offense, but also if somebody goes down, carry on without a beat. Like every good team has, by the way. Uh, They need to figure out whether Cam Jurgens can play center in this league if Kelsey goes. They also probably need to draft another offensive tackle because Lane Johnson has two years left and my lot is leaking. They need a right guard. 
who starts. Now that Cam Jurgis is going to move, that's just offensively. Now let's look defensively. Reddick's not going anywhere, but Josh Sweat, I think, has run out of time. Yep. Now their defensive tackles are okay. They need three new linebackers. They need two new safeties, and they're going to try to get away with two 31-year-old cornerbacks last year. This is a team that is almost like it's hard to believe that we looked at this team at one point and said, well, man, they're going to be contended for a long time. To where they are now, which to me looked because of their personnel lackage, if that's a word, <laughs> they, they almost have to start over. It looked like a 500 team to me. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, and it was suggested that they're not even going to make the playoffs next year. And when you sign that quarterback to that amount of money, the thought process is you're a Super Bowl contender for the next five years. The length of that contract, you're a Super Bowl contender. Heck, not being a playoff team. Which is what they thought. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, are you they, in? Are you in the mindset though, Mike, that the quarterback is fine? It was the offense that was the issue. Well, the offense is the Nick Sirianni offense, but the personnel has to improve. I, clearly, the personnel has to improve. I look at all these teams that do commit to running the football occasionally when they need to run the football, and they've got two, three guys that that can perform for them, and, and the Eagles just do not. They have shirked that running back position, which they never thought highly of in the first place. They've shirked the linebacker position, which they never thought. There's got to be a reversal of thinking here. And Howie Roseman has got to be in on this. Because Howie Roseman is the guy who's made these evaluations where we don't need people. Yeah. Oh, there's look, you're telling me you had to let all four of those guys go last year? Edwards, White, Epps? Chauncey go. You can let two of them go, one at each position, at least bring back one at each. So you didn't have to restock four. But they so arrogantly said we can restock four and see you later time. And now you're in, you know, the Sidney Brown kid. I don't know if he could play or not. It's a shame he tears his ACL because he looked like one guy that they had that was young and could play. Other than that, disaster. Yeah, I, and, and that goes down that this is why you need a whole new coaching staff. Because those coaches, those young kids couldn't go to the field until late. Which means the coaches really couldn't coach them well enough to, to participate earlier in the season to get them used to to this kind of play, this kind of play that is necessitated towards the end of the season. So I, I don't know if Ringo can play. Yeah. I have no idea. Uh, Eli Ricks, I don't know if he can play. Blankenship has some moments, but he's a kamikaze who can't cover and is going to get hurt because he smashes into people with a reckless abandon. So you, they need a lot of people. So um, this whole story now, last night, I, I'm actually listening to your podcast last night, and you're telling this story about you being in St. Martin. And I, as I'm listening to that story, my girlfriend's la laying next to me in bed, and I'm laughing out loud. I mean, it's 1230. I'm laughing. And she said, what are you laughing at? And I'm trying to explain the story. And as I'm thinking of, forget thinking of seeing Jeffrey Laurie in the nude, <laughs> mind you, I'm thinking, how is Lori in St. Martin possibly on a nude beach thinking, am I really going to fire this guy? Like, how could this be a thought in his mind as he's on vacation in St. Martin? Well, you know, the, the ultimate freedom is when you're walking around naked, I guess. So maybe it helped him. I, I don't know. Listen, I don't know if he was on Orient Beach. I can just explain it, my experience on Orient Bay Beach, which was a fascinating experience. Uh, and maybe he's like, you know, when you go to St. Martin – I assume you go there to maybe check out the nude beach. I, I don't know. Why wouldn't you? Well, you're there. 
Right. right? They, on the Dutch <laughs> side, there's an airport, right? The Dutch side, the air, the, the airplanes come flying. If you're on the beach, they come flying right over top of you. You can feel the heat of the engines, the jet engines <laughs> on St. Martin. It's the other side. It's a little more pristine, the French side. And that's where the nude beach is. So he's sitting there thinking about Nick Sirianni's future. That's all I'm thinking. of freedom. No, is, is some naked 75-year-old woman going to recognize Jeffrey Lurie? Probably not. Probably. Like, he probably has the ultimate freedom on that beach. I think the part that got me. <laughs> you know, it's about, I don't know if he was or not. I, it's probably your responsibility to suggest him. <laughs> well, who cares? You go to the, you know, you want to go naked on the beach? It's fine. It doesn't happen to be my style. Uh, the, the, the part. And, and I, I told I told you the reasons why when I first I first walked into that little convenience store and I saw a naked guy with with his package on the counter paying for a bag of chips. That was it was like startling to me. The part that got me really going was the gentleman who apparently offered you his stool his stool with his bare cheeks uh sweating naked, naked on, the, guy, on the naked guy, very overweight gentleman. Uh his butt covered the whole little wooden stool was trying to be gracious and give up his seat for me so I can buy some cocktails for the crew that I was with. <laughs> <laughs> I politely declined, but that's, I guess that's the mindset. You're in, you know, the naked ways. So that's nothing to you that like to, to think that, gee, I, I just left a sweaty stool for a guy that I offered <laughs> like that. That thought probably didn't even come into his head. Uh, you can check out that full story over at the uh, latest edition of the Mike Missinelli podcast. His guest was Angelo Cataldi, who probably would have fired the coach on the plane. Oh, my. He's he's livid. He's going after Syria. As only Angelo can go after somebody. He's he's definitely after Nick. Yeah, I, I look, I'm not like, hey, you got to fire this guy. Fire, But I did say before the game. If you go down there and the team is non-competitive again, you got no choice. I mean, that's just non-competitive. You know, we were talking about this at breakfast this morning. And he said, you know, did this team just the whole existence of Sirianni not be able to pick up a blitz? Like, when did that all of a sudden become so inept? I mean, that's again, that's malpractice, Mike, isn't it? It's not like you haven't had warning on what teams do to you. The Giants did it. So other teams did it earlier in the yeah, year. But was this something the that Giants happened? did it late in the year, and and you knew as as advertised, it was like a neon sign. Yeah, uh, Todd Bowles is going to blitz you. So here's how we attack it. I I don't know what went on that week. Right. Well, that week, the week before, the week before that. I mean, you progressively just kept looking worse and worse and less prepared and less prepared. Not more prepared as you showed some cracks. You looked worse. And, and and to me, that wipes away everything that Sirianni had accomplished. Right. Yeah, okay, he got to, he's been in playoffs three years. They did get to the Super Bowl. But that was such a ridiculous historic meltdown on so many levels that that completely overrides. I hear people say, well, you can fire the guy. He's been in the playoffs for three years. Well, that circumstance overrides it. It's historically bad. It is. It's historically bad. Uh, what's the offseason look like for you? What's the schedule for the pod and everything? On pods, uh, still twice a week pod. Uh, Bed Rivers people uh, um, uh, are treat me very well. I, I love doing it, and uh, yeah, we do two weeks. We did one uh, yesterday, so uh, twice a week. And now we'll, we'll start really focusing on the Sixers because they're the and the Flyers. You know, I I, I have to blame myself because I really haven't paid much attention. But it's time to start paying attention to them because they're playing good hockey. They're going to be a surprise playoff team. It looks like, uh, but the Sixers are, are carrying the day now because you look up. 
they're they're in the second spot. I did a thing on the podcast of their playoff situation right now. They would they would be the second seed, uh, and they would play the Knicks in the first round, which would be a really interesting series for me. But uh, they're good when Embiid plays. They're they're okay when he doesn't play. And it's this is an Embiid season. And it comes down to whether he's going to dominate in the playoffs like he's dominating now. I mean, it's the age-old question. And if he does, they—I don't—they're not at Boston's level, but they're certainly at that level on that second tier below Boston because Milwaukee. I mean, you see what they are—they're they're, just—they just can't defend. Yeah. Going down to uh, Clearwater this year. Uh, I'm going to try to make that happen. All right. That's uh, trying to make that happen. That's right. Philly baseball. The Sixers will lead right into Philly baseball. Yeah, no moves by the Phils. Silence from the Phils. Nothing. Yeah. I had Rob Thompson on last week. Uh, I badgered him a little bit about some decisions he made in the uh, in the uh, series, but, uh, the LCS. But you know, he's a stand-up guy. They're going to be good. Listen, they have a good lineup. they got to figure out center field and left field. Uh, and and need, they need another back end relief pitcher, which I assume that Dombrowski will get. Nice, not Hater. I can't believe no, the money Hater got. I just yeah. can't believe it. Yeah, five years, ninety million. Josh Hader, Astros. I, I, listen, Josh Hader is a good pitcher. Right, he, he's not good enough to be the highest paid relief pitcher in baseball. I I don't understand what's going on here. They, they, people get so desperate that they just go overboard. Well, Mike Missinelli, the podcast, check him out. And of course, he was kind enough here. It's Friday. A little fun, and uh, I implore you guys to check out that uh, St. Martin story. It had me laughing. At yeah, there's, there's, a le- there's many more legs to the story. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't want to give it all away. Sure. See what I did there? I, I made them listen to a little bit, and now you got to go listen to the full story as you tell it. Yes, many more legs. That's the hint I'll give you. <laughs> broccoli. Just remember broccoli when <laughs> bro- when you listen to the story. Do you remember I told you about the broccoli sprouts? Three, three stalks of broccoli. <laughs> All right, Mike. See you, man. Uh, all right, Mike. Take care. Mike Missinelli, everybody. Mike Missinelli podcast. And he was kind enough to join me here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 532 Sports Bash. No news with uh, Sirianni today. I don't know. You think we're going to get news tonight, like uh, 9 o'clock tonight? Are we going to get like some Schefter or Rappaport tweet that um, Sirianni's, you know, the two teams have decided to part ways or the two teams have agreed to move on? It's starting to feel more and more like like that they're just not going to do anything yet. Like it feels like this is like like a standby mode until next week. Looks like uh, Bill Belichick's expected to be named the new Falcons head coach. Yeah, and Pierce earlier today, Antonio Pierce has uh, become the Raiders head coach. There are a couple head coach openings that are being locked up. Yeah, so you're going to have Atlanta. Belichick in Atlanta, it looks like. So he's out. He gone. Antonio Pierce, who was the interim with the Raiders, and looks like they're going to retain him. Correct. And then what else we got? Well, the Raiders are also looking for a GM. So that opening is for the GM still there. But you have the Chargers head coach opening. Hold on. Let me write this down so I have a picture in my head. L.A. Chargers. Tennessee Tennessee Titans. Carolina Panthers. Carolina. Washington Commanders. Yep. And I'm missing somebody. I'm trying to think. Um, One, two, three, four. That's four. Seattle. 
Seattle. Seattle's open. So there's five jobs open in Atlanta. It Atlanta's looks like filled. Belichick. And Raiders are filled. And the Raiders with uh, Antonio. Um, Antonio Pierce. Pierce, yep. Yeah. So you got Washington, Seattle, to the Chargers, Tennessee, Carolina, Washington, Seattle. Vrabel get one of them? I think so. I mean, he's interviewed now for multiple of them, so I'm assuming he's going to get one of them. Got to. Harbaugh's going to get one, too. If I'm Washington, I'm going after Vrabel. I've been a dumpster fire for long enough. If I'm the Chargers, I go get Harbaugh and just be done with it. Well, Harbaugh's going to get one of these jobs. So you would think that there's five jobs left. One's going to go to Harbaugh. One's going to go to Vrabel. Right. Is there any other coach that you think definitively is going to get one of these jobs? Like, I'll let me put Harbaugh in L.A., and I'm going to put Vrabel. I've heard Vrabel's name in Seattle. Yep, they're interested in him. So I'll put Vrabel in Seattle. Oh, if you're Vrabel and you leave Tennessee and you go to Seattle, did you better yourself? I think you bettered yourself because apparently Tennessee didn't want you and they want to listen to you. Because that was part of the problem with the new GM. Better the new GM and him were clashing. I'm just, you know, forget. I'm just talking about team-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chargers completed an interview today with Dan Quinn. That was uh, Adam Schefter six minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, David Shaw has been interviewing for multiple jobs, too. He's hanging out there. Falcons interviewed Aaron Glenn today for their head coaching job. Yep. But that was 24 minutes ago. We do suspect that Belichick's going to get that job. Yeah, the the report that I saw was that Belichick, is his second interview is to work out a deal. It's not just to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, so you got really three jobs open right now. I don't know which three they are, but we think Harbaugh's going to go somewhere and Vrabel's going to go somewhere. I can't see a world where if Harbaugh wants the job, he's getting one. Correct. And if Vrabel, I can't see a situation where Vrabel gets unclaimed in this cycle. Yeah, he's going to get claimed. Harbaugh is going to get claimed. And then you basically have three jobs in theory open still. So Tennessee, Carolina are two of the teams that have interviewed Brian Johnson. Correct. In your mind, in my mind, I don't know that Brian Johnson, I don't think Brian Johnson gets a job. Do you? I think there's a chance he gets the Carolina job because I think that a lot of people might not want the Carolina job. And you've said multiple times, Mike. See, I don't agree with that. but You've said multiple times that if you're an NFL coach and there's only 32 of these jobs and you have an opportunity to get one of them, you're probably going to take it, right? But you like that's why I disagree with what you're, you're saying. I don't who people don't want that job. I, I I don't think Bill Belichick wants that job. I don't think that Mike Vrabel wants that job. But I think any of these other tiered guys would take it. Anybody who's Maybe. never been a head coach before, like I don't think is going to say no to the opportunity to be handed a head coaching job. Well, we saw guys say no to the Texans job in the past and the Denver job in the past. So I mean, we have seen who? it. Well, D'Amico Ryan said no to the Denver job last cycle. And then... That's... Yeah, but... Okay, so D'Amico Ryan said no, but he... Like, that's a different situation in my mind because D'Amico Ryan, I think, under, knew that he was going to get... Get other shots. Another shot. Gotcha. If you're Brian Johnson, 
you might say, this is my chance, man. I got to take it. And then don't forget Ben Johnson, not Brian Johnson, Ben Johnson here from the Lions. He said no to the Panthers' job last cycle. That's why there's suspicion that does he say yes this cycle because they're coming after him again. Mm -hmm. But last cycle he said no to them. I'm going to stay in Detroit. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, there's probably minimal examples of someone who trusts themselves enough to say, I don't need this job, I'll get one. That's a pretty confident person, and I I applaud those people. To say, I don't need a job that I don't really want, I'll get one that I want. So I'll stick with what I got. I'm also curious to find out, is David... Oh, New England, no, New England hired a coach. New England has Gerard Mayo. Yeah, I was going to say, but that was, so I was going to say, wait, there's a team that, um, but they already hired Gerard Mayo. Yeah, they got Gerard Mayo. Yeah, mm. so, um, but I was about David Tepper. Is he looking for a specific type of coach? You know, for example. Yeah, I, I, from what I understand, David Tepper, for people who don't know this, used to be a minority owner of the Steelers. Correct. So he is looking for his Mike Tomlin, the guy who's the coach there for 15 years. And he thought it was? Matt Rule. And he was wrong. And they thought it was Frank Reich. Didn't work out. A lot of people say that's why he has fired these guys so quickly because he has a vision in his head of the Steelers and their long – and you'd say, well, why would he keep firing people? Because he's saying right off the bat these guys are not the guy that that can be the the coach for 15 years. Yeah, he treats head coaches like dating apps. You know, he's he's swiping on Tinder. He goes out on a date, goes a couple dates, realizes not working out, he moves on to the next Tinder match. Next one. Next one. Um, yeah, I'm just reading through some of the uh, Falcons have requested to interview with Joe Brady. Interesting. That's interesting. So are are the Falcons are the Falcons maybe saying you know Belichick's not 100 percent on board yet, so we gotta keep looking around. You know, one of the problem with guys like Brady and Bobby Slowick, who's down in Houston, is that these guys are still in the postseason mm-hmm. and. This These whole- are the guys who have interviewed for the Atlanta job, by the way. Belichick, Brady, Brian Callahan, uh, Ijiro Averro, Aaron Glenn. For those who don't know, Ijiro Averro is the defensive coordinator in Carolina who used to be in Denver. Mm-hmm. Well, and by the way, a minority candidate. So this is for the people out there who keep saying that Brian Johnson is a Rooney Rule guy. That is not a- accurate. By the way, they also interviewed Raheem Morris and Antonio Pierce. So, and we oh, just see what Les Snead said today. And Steve Wilkes, by the way. So, Carolina, for no reason, had to interview Brian Johnson unless they legitimately wanted to interview him. Did you see what happened with uh, Les Snead's press conference today? The Rams GM? The Rams GM, no. He went on a rant basically saying that every team should want to hire Raheem Morris and that this guy is going to be a great head coach. He like, went on and on and on. He's already been a head coach. Well, he's saying he needs to be head coach again. That's what the uh, GM of the Rams says. Um, so Carolina, I mean Atlanta, right? Atlanta? Atlanta's open. You were Atlanta interviewed all these people so far. Ajiro, Aaron Glenn, another minority candidate, by the way. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, Ben Johnson, Brian Johnson, Mike McDonald, Raheem Morris, Antonio Pierce, Bobby Slowick, Mike Vrabel. Actually, they did not interview Vrabel. Uh, he was mentioned as a candidate. 
Anthony Weaver and Steve Wilkes. So they interviewed Wilkes on January 13th. That interview there fulfilled the Rooney rule. So everybody talk about Brian Johnson. I, you know, I, I, I can't stand that answer from people. It really bothers me to hear that, that that's the reason why you believe that Brian Johnson is getting an interview. Like, how ignorant can people be sometimes? Oh, they can be very ignorant. I mean, just, I don't know. I mean, if you just did a little research, you would see uh, Steve Wilkes, by the way, was interviewed on the 13th. Um, right. Ajiro, uh, Averro, excuse me, was uh, interviewed on the 14th. So they, they, they fulfilled the Rooney rule on the 13th. They then had another minority candidate on the 14th. They don't have to interview Brian Johnson for any reason other than they felt he was qualified. Yeah, the problem is, is that what happens in many areas of life, and you know this happens a lot in the non-sports world, is that random person puts out story narrative, and nobody fact checks or double checks or any research on it, and then the whole world runs with it, and then there might be like one person waving their hand in the air saying that's incorrect, and everybody tells that person to go to hell. You know, I mean, that's that's the world we live in now. So I'm not surprised people are not double-checking their, their facts when it comes to Brian Johnson. Carolina has interviewed Brian Callahan, Dave Canales, Ejiro Averro, Ben Johnson. Brian Johnson has not interviewed. He has an interview requested. Mike McDonald, Todd Munkin, uh, Raheem Morris. There you go. Raheem Morris already interviewed. Dan Quinn, Bobby Slowick, Frank Smith, and Chris T- uh, Tabor. Uh, who was the interim head coach interim head there. Coach. So that, that's two minority candidates you've already interviewed for the job. Yeah, Morris interviewed on the 17th, and uh, Averro interviewed on the 11th. And Brian Johnson is still to interview, right? He hasn't even interviewed yet. Right, but he's so going So they to. are not requesting to interview Brian Johnson because they needed to fulfill the Rooney rule. They've already interviewed two minority candidates. And then who has the Titans interviewed? Tennessee has interviewed Thomas Brown... Brian Callahan, Aaron Glenn. Thomas Brown's a minority candidate. Uh, Aaron Glenn, by the way, has not interviewed. He is scheduled to interview. Ben Johnson, Brian Johnson, Mike Kafka, Mike McDonald, Antonio Pierce, who interviewed on the 13th. He was their first uh, interview. Dan Quinn and Bobby Slowick. So they got four minority candidates in Tennessee. And Brian Johnson interviewed today. So, again, Brian Johnson was not interviewed by Tennessee to fulfill the Rooney rule. Washington has interviewed Aaron Glenn tomorrow, Ben Johnson today, Raheem Morris today, Dan Quinn yesterday, and Anthony Weaver interviewed on the 11th. So that's two minority candidates have already interviewed. Bobby Slowick has been requested. Mike McDonald has been requested. Jim Harbaugh mentioned as a candidate, but nothing set up there. So that's Washington. Seattle has Ejiro Averro interviewed on the 17th. Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham's a minority candidate. Ben Johnson, Mike Kafka, Mike McDonald, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, Bobby Slowick. Frank Smith and Mike Vrabel has been mentioned as a candidate. That's three minority candidates there. And the Chargers. 
Bill Belichick uh, rumored as a candidate, but has not interviewed. Right. Brian Callahan, Leslie Frazier, Aaron Glenn, Patrick Graham, Jim Harbaugh, Mike McDonald, Todd Munkin, Raheem Morris is interviewing tomorrow. Kellen Moore interviewed on the 9th. Dan Quinn yesterday. No, actually today. Uh, Giff Smith, he's the interim. Mike Vrabel interviewed on the 18th. And Steve Wilkes interviewed on the 13th. That's five minority candidates for the Chargers. Okay. So uh, Brian Johnson was not interviewed by any team to fulfill the Rooney rule. They all have fulfilled the Rooney rule and some, by the way. Uh, Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. The Raiders, by the way, they have hired Antonio Pierce. They also interviewed Leslie Frazier. And Chris Richard. That's two minority candidates right there. Yeah. So any of those guys, though, I guess the next question is, if Nick Sirianni has any of the names I said jumped off the page as that's the guy I want? Of those, of all the guys you named? I mean, I just named like 15 different candidates. I know, you named like 50 people. I mean, for me, I... I am a fan of the idea of a guy like a Belichick or a Vrabel or something Belichick like that coming. Seemingly gone. Right, but even Vrabel coming to Philadelphia. But the problem is that the Eagles have no history of doing that. They don't like to go out and get the established guy. They like to, you know, they, uh, you know, Lori likes to be the wizard, finding the, the magic potion out there. Well, I mean, listen, just because you've always done something one way doesn't mean, I'm just saying, if all those names, any of those guys say, I would get rid of Sirianni because I want that guy. I would say Jim Harbaugh. For me, it would be Jim Harbaugh and make Greg Roman the OC. Because I think Roman has a history, and so does Jim Harbaugh, and making every quarterback they touch better. All right. Everybody out there, have your pick. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Uh, it is a happy hour Friday. It was snowing today. It wasn't the nicest day out. Uh, so we didn't get into the spirit as much as we probably should have because of the snow. Like, happy hour Friday. We should be really celebrating that. But all this stuff has been coming down. But when we come back, uh, we'll end the show. A little Sixers tonight. Philly stuff. Uh, Flyers, they're continuing. I, mean, I got to look at the Flyers. I thought they – I'm pretty sure they're like two points at a first place right now. So we'll close up the show with all that coming up next. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, get ready to get out of here on a uh, Friday night. Happy hour Friday. Just in time. You looked outside. Is it snowing at all? Oh, it's still snowing. Is it? Yeah. Got a good coat of uh, snow out there. Not crazy heavy down here, but, you know, it's, it, it's enough to be make you a little careful how you drive. Start my car now. Aren't you fancy? Never seems to work. You got any uh, brews for the people for Happy Hour Friday? Um, I thought I did. Trying to pull my app. Technology is your enemy right now. Right. Um, Usually hates me more than you. Yeah, I gave you um. Splatterbrain. How's that? Splatterbrain. Over Axe and Arrow. 
Axe and Arrow. It's on the Glassboro uh, Rowan College campus out there. Nice. Um, Jersey Riptide Farmers and Bankers out in Woodstown. I got to get out there. It's on my list. Jersey Riptide Farmers and Bankers. It's an old bank out there. That's why I want to go. Another Farmers and Bankers beer called Little Dougie. Teach me how to Dougie? Yeah. I got a bunch of uh, Farmers and Bankers beers brought to me at a remote one day, and I liked them all. There was another one that I liked. Uh, it was called um, Duva Where's My Car. I really liked that one. That's probably my favorite of the, of the ones there. If you can get a, your hands on Gander from Mudhead. I suggest you do it. You'll thank me. Gander from Mudhead Brewing. Wildwood. All right, that's it for me. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.